Support our programming at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Become a patron and your contributions can help unlock bonus shows from RFR and more. Say it loud and say it proud. Support Rebel Force Radio. Click on the Patreon banner at rebelforceradio.com or visit patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio and fans around the galaxy. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. I guess he does say to Anakin at the end of Revenge of the Sith, you were the chosen one. <laughs> the debate continues, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, there's still lots of room for debate about this. The uh, discussion continues. And this discussion did continue on uh, RFR Rush Hour. Part of our premium content available to the Patreon community. It's free right now, but it won't be for long. So you can hear uh, what I said to Jimmy Mac was the rematch. But um, that it uh, the discussion does continue. We've got Sam Whitmer joining us in the program a little bit later to uh, not only talk about his uh, uh, wrapping up uh, his turn as Darth Maul, uh, but also to really lay down on this whole controversy, debate, uh, question that's been raised by the uh, story group there about the identity of the Chosen One. Who is the Chosen One? You are the Chosen One! He does say it in the past tense. Uh, but uh, that's, that's not enough for me. That's not enough for me. I think that it's pretty definitive. But we'll see what Sam has to say. And... Um, We'll hear what Jimmy Mack has to say. How about right now? My good friend and yours from Chicago joining us, of course, Jimmy Mack. You were supposed to join the Sith, not... Wait. Yeah, I got that reversed. Wait a second. Miss Fred, the prophecy <laughs> must have been... You were supposed to destroy the Sith, not join them! Damn it! <laughs> Obi-Wan, you're really confusing me right now. And you have the high ground. I'm so confused. Somebody Actually, somebody me, put on uh, you Facebook. Saw, I know what you're going to get in the, the high ground pose. <laughs> the Go high on. ground. Yeah, there's about a 180 degree difference. Um, 
there's a slight incline there between Maul and uh, Obi Wan. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it, Darth. You were supposed to join the Sith, not kill him. Wait, I keep screwing that up. Damn it! Can we do this again, Anakin? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, this is uh, this is definitely it's something that has uh, gotten the Star Wars community all uh, a buzz and in uh, talking about this. And you know, I, um, I, I again, I have to state that I, I, I'm completely open to the idea that uh, you could make a case that. Obi-Wan is expressing what he believes to be true, but I just feel that the writers should and could have done uh, a better job at making that a little bit more obvious, you know, uh, instead of such a definitive statement from a character who's not only extraordinarily iconic and important to the storytelling, but at this stage... Uh, much wiser uh, than he was during the uh, the Clone Wars and uh, shortly thereafter. I, I well, we'll save it for Sam. We're going to talk to Sam, but Jim, someone um, actually, longtime listener uh, Javier, uh, loyal Rebel Force Radio listener, sent some um, or reminded us of some audio that there is of George Lucas talking about the Chosen One. Right, right. You sent me this video, and there was no indication of where this video was pulled from. I think it might What's be a video. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. All right. It features George sitting in the main house at Skywalker Ranch. He's in that music room of his with all the vinyl. Mm-hmm. He's got he's got all of his old records there. He even has uh, laser discs still in there. He hasn't updated his collection in a long time. But so George is uh, chilling in there, and he starts talking about the Chosen One. This is a clip either pulled from the uh, Revenge of the Sith DVD or the Blu-ray box set of all six films. So uh, here's George himself, the maker, the master, talking about who he considers the Chosen One really to be. you got to remember, this is one movie, and it's meant to be seen one through six. So I think when you watch the actual movie in order... The story will become very clear that Anakin is the Chosen One. And even when Anakin turns into Darth Vader, he is still the Chosen One. The prophecy is that Anakin will bring balance to the Force and destroy the Sith. He becomes Darth Vader. Darth Vader does become the hero. Darth Vader does destroy the Sith, meaning himself and the Emperor. He does it because he is redeemed by his son. So the prophecy is true. And by doing that, he redeems himself and goes from being Darth Vader back to being Anakin again. Mic drop. Case closed. Jason was right. That is George Lucas. However, that recording was made prior to George producing the Mortis trilogy, which does add some additional wrinkles into the fabric. While it is true that the Mortis trilogy does does uh, predict Anakin Skywalker or place him in that role of the chosen one. Uh, is he really the chosen one just because of that? That story was told in metaphor. So there's a lot of great things to talk about with you this. You know why he's the chosen one? Because George Lucas wrote because the George story Lucas, and said he was. Yes, yeah. And, I, and I, I agree with you. I'm open to the uh, possibility that Obi-Wan is talking from a certain point of view. But Jason, I think you just believe that the mere inclusion of this dialogue is... Setting the course for 
a change in philosophy. That's as, my concern. Yes. Who is the chosen one as far as Star Wars storytelling is considered moving forward. Yeah. So uh, that's stuff we, we have to talk to Sam about. I know a lot of people have been dying to hear Sam talk about these episodes. And Sam himself heard us talking about <laughs> the episode uh, uh, Twin Sons on uh, The Last Rebels Declassified. And uh, he says he wants to take us to school. So uh, we should is in session. (laughs) Let's bring him on. Let's do it. Sam Whitwer. Always remember I am fear. Always remember I am hunter. Always remember I am him. Always remember I am nothing. Have just one final test. Destroy your Tyson Jedi, and at last you will be a Sith Lord. We'll destroy the Sith and the Jedi. Vader can't stop me now. Nothing can. Nothing can. Nothing can. Old Master. Now it says that he's on with us. Kenobi! Here he comes. Oh, he's got the commando <laughs> avatar. Arnold. Sam, he's actually speaking at the top of his lungs right now. We just can't hear him because he blew out his voice playing Darth Maul and Twin Sons. <laughs> Twin Sons. What's up, Twin guys? Sons. Hey, I, I got to tell you, I love the avatar, man. I mean, you, you went deep into the Schwarzenegger catalog and pulled out Commando. I did what <laughs> I had to do. Here, I'll be, wait, I'll be right back. Let me give a, get a drink real quick. Sure. Okay, cool. Sam's getting refreshed. He's rehydrating. He's getting a refresher. Hitting the <clears throat> refresher. More on that later. Yeah, apparently Pablo's very uh, annoyed having to answer all these questions on Twitter during his vacation about uh, toilets in Star Wars. Lo- <laughs> what? He doesn't have time for that? Well, the the important stuff? Not. Honey, I'm dropping apparently everything. Not. Clear my schedule. But he, but, he, but, but he has time to tweet about how annoyed he is. So there you go. Just answer Pablo. the questions. Always has time to tweet about how annoyed he is. <laughs> annoyed he is right. This time it's uh, he's on vacation and he's getting all kinds of questions about Star Wars turlets. Yes, turlets in Star Wars. These are the important well, that's questions. That's what everybody wants to talk about. We've got big questions for you, Sam. Big, well, big questions. I can't wait. First of all, um, I don't know whether to congratulate you or extend my uh, deepest sympathies, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, you know, I saw your uh, interview on Rebels Recon, and you, you're, you're taking it in, in stride in terms of sort of closing this chapter on the character of Darth Maul. And you've been carrying this mantle for how long now? How long is it? When did Seven, you... 17 years. No. <laughs> yeah, it was actually what? Sam in Phantom Menace doing all the flips and stunts and everything. It wasn't. It wasn't that it was me in Phantom Menace. I just came up with the idea for the character. Oh, is that yeah. all? Okay. I, yeah, all I was right. hanging out with George. It was the same beach meeting where he pitched Spielberg uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark in, in Hawaii. And I said, hey, what do you think about a Darth Maul? And I described the character, and he's like, oh, you know, and at the time, he didn't like it. Yeah. But then years later, lo and behold, and he does not remember that I was there, which is a little bit lame of him, but I, I did it. I was there. I was... Well, you there. know, it's George's world, right? We just live in it. So, right. 
No, oh, that's the thing. I was like, I, I was riffing on his Darth Vader thing anyway, but I was like, what if the Darth thing was like a title, not just a name? And he's like, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Anyway, St- <laughs> Stephen, you know, Indiana Smith. And I was like, it really should be Jones. And he's like, Indiana Jones. I don't, I don't much get part of half stuff that I, that I gave Lucasfilm. You know, Sam was out there. He was there building the sandcastles with uh, George and, and even more so to really push forward the idea and the concept of Maul. Sam wasn't wearing sunscreen, so was, his skin was gradually getting burnt as George mm-hmm. sat there staring at him, and that's how he got the idea for the look of Maul. And the reason I'm so pale now is that my <laughs> original skin has long since burned away. This is new baby skin. <laughs> and you did it all for Darth Maul. I did it for you for suffer the for your art, man. You really do mm-hmm. for the art, yeah, which the I craft. always do. I always do. Ask anyone. So what you know, going into this, um, I mean, you've known for a while that this was going to be the swan song, so to speak, for yeah. Darth Maul. Yeah, I, I knew the moment that Dave said that he was going to be in Rebels. I'm like, oh, well, then we're definitely going to Tatooine. Have to go to Tatooine. Yeah. Well, what, what else would there be for him to do? But so he, he goes to Tatooine and the uh, the way that they the way that they show sort of the beginning of this search, you know, before he gets this idea of kind of creating this magnet to draw Kenobi out is this just total despair. And, uh, just, I mean, you talk about out in the, in the wilderness, out in the desert. Um, what were you, uh, what was you, what were you taking with you as an actor into this story? You know, you have to gear yourself up and think about where the character is do you think that there's an element of Darth Maul knowing this is his last stand? Um, I be- well, yes, on some level, I think it's possible he knows that. But really, that's, that's up for debate. We left a lot of these things intentionally vague. Maybe he goes there with the full intention of killing Obi-Wan and defeating him and finally making himself feel better. Or maybe he wants to die, or maybe both. You just you don't know with that guy. You don't. There is a, a, an ambiguous quality to him. Sam, were you thinking of playing him as, or would you say he would qualify at all as an anti-hero in some way? <laughs> I Well, in order to be qualified as an anti-hero, don't you have to do something sort of heroic, but reluctantly? <laughs> well, he's, he's always saving Ezra. Well, You're there, right. There's a quality about Darth Maul where he has learned to hate on Palpatine, so... Well, also, I, I defeated the Inquisitors for them. Uh, that's I right. did really good things for Mandalorian healthcare, uh, whether <laughs> they will acknowledge it or not. Um, I really did. No, I did. I, they, yeah. they had a terrible system, and, and I, I got in there. It's, it's not... It was cut from the episode, but it's in there. Like, right. Maul reformed a lot of their stuff while he was in command. Oh, yeah, Maul Maul care. Care. Yeah. Maul care. Yeah, Maul care. Yeah, Maul care. <laughs> totally, yeah. Um... But uh, I, I think um, I, one of the main things that, that Dave and I agreed with ourselves with, <laughs> we agreed with ourselves with, <laughs> one of the things that we agreed very quickly together is when he was in the desert, um, we've talked about how he's this character who's on this vicious cycle. He's in this circular path that keeps leading to the, you know, leading into itself mm-hmm. like a snake who's devouring its own tail. And, uh, one of the things that we thought when when this opening rant in the desert, um, it was clear to us that 
the way to do this is to make it clear that he he never left that cave on I think it was Lothor Minor, the garbage planet where Savage found him. Uh, we wanted to bring that madness back for that monologue because there's no one there. He doesn't need to worry about presenting himself in any specific way. He's he's completely alone. And I, I try to make sure to have a couple of vocal things in there that were duplicates of things that I did back in the cave as a spider mole, right. as a, he has been known to, to be called. And so yeah. the idea that this character is on this destructive circular cycle, this ride that he can't get off of. And he knows that he knows that he needs to get something from Obi-Wan Kenobi in the same way. I mean, because his life made sense up until the point that he met him and then everything just spiraled out of control. And, uh, he knows he needs to get something from him. He tried beating him up. That didn't make him feel any better. He defeated him in combat. That didn't make him feel any better. And every time he's like, well, maybe it's because the revenge isn't big enough. It needs to be bigger and bigger and bigger. So then he takes over Mandalore and murders Satine in front of Obi-Wan. And that doesn't make him feel better. So now years later, you know, he'd been out of play for a while. He's back in play. And he just keeps coming back to that. He knows there's something he needs from Obi-Wan. He's not even quite sure what. So he defaults to defaults to his Sith training. Well, I must need it must be that I didn't kill him. Yeah. That must be what was going to fill the heart, the hole in my heart. I just yeah. finally end this guy. Um, and not only do it, but what was so clever, I thought, and you, you, you kind of blink and you miss it because the the battle is so quick. But the way they choreographed it, that he's trying to use, he's like a pro wrestler. You know, that's using going to use the big finisher, right? You know, it's like Macho Man coming off the top rope, dropping the big elbow. Maul wants to use the big finisher that he used on Qui-Gon, but it doesn't quite go the way he hoped. Well, it's, it's even more than that. It's even more than that. Obi-Wan almost slips into a cycle as well. That when they spark up lightsabers, Obi-Wan goes into the Ewan McGregor pose. Mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan was a warrior, a general in a war, which is not what a Jedi is supposed to be. And he committed many acts of violence and aggression, um, all in the name of good. But he did things that were antithetical to what the Jedi are supposed to be. He, he, you know, he's out in the desert trying to trying to repent for all that. So Obi Wan almost slips into back into that cycle. He almost plays Maul's game. They almost have the fight that everyone thought that they were going to have, the flipping, the this, the that, all that stuff, until he until Obi Wan reminds himself, No, 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 I'm not that guy anymore. I'm not a man who would ever fight a war ever again. Hmm. So he goes into the Alec Guinness pose and then as a second thought he goes, No, 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 wait. And then he goes into the Qui Gon Jin pose. Which almost you know, you could almost say that that cues Maul up for that move. Um, you know, it's, it's, yeah. Or you could say that he's doing it with respect to his master, that he has become the master now that once his master was like that. And now he is like that. Right. right. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can take that. There's a lot of different ways to, to read into it. Uh, David Collins said, and I thought this was brilliant, said Maul arrives there thinking that this is a broken man who is hiding in the desert because if he was anywhere else, he would be killed instantly you know, as a Jedi and he's hiding and he's pathetic and he has nothing. He has no order to serve. He has no love to inspire him. He has no master to, you know, to seek guidance from. He has nothing. This guy is just out in the middle, a rat in the desert, as Maul says. And he discovers, wait, he's protecting someone. Well, that's cute. 
And that's another way that I can sort of get under his skin, you know, get people, get at people that he cares about. Um, this poor misused, uh, discarded like me scrap of a Jedi is protecting someone that's cute. And it's seconds later when the fight is over that Maul realizes I misread this. This is a man at the top of his game on guard duty. He is an, he is an active Jedi Knight. In fact, he is a Jedi master and he hasn't, there, there's nothing about this man that is, that is discarded. He is, uh, he is in top form and mm. the only reason he would be in top form out in the desert for as many years as he has is, uh, that chosen one prophecy, which, um, yeah, we got to War- talk about that. Yeah. Well, Cause you heard the show last week, Sam, and we were pretty fired up about it. And, uh, I know you have a few things to say and you haven't really tipped your hand to me as to, uh, <laughs> as to what is <laughs> to where this, uh, quote schooling is going to uh take us we're gonna go to star wars school guys you already go to star wars school yeah let's do a little bit of that look dave learned everything he everything that he could from george and i have learned from dave i am the apprentice now um (laughs) (laughs) this this you know i've lost my mind i've gone sith that's what dave would tell you anyway no um the chosen one prophecy is a two-sided prophecy this is something that the Sith are familiar with as well as the Jedi. And both sides have their idea of what balance to the Force means. And both sides have interpreted balance to the Force to mean that they will win, right? It's mm-hmm. two sides in a war both saying, God is on our side, right? Mm-hmm. It's, that's what's going on there. So Maul is very familiar with that prophecy. He knows exactly what that is. And the Sith reading would be that this guy is going to set everything right, create balance in the Force, And Maul's interpretation of that is vengeance. Vengeance will be had and all accounts will be settled by this guy, the Chosen One. Um, Of course, that's not the Jedi interpretation of what balance of the Force means. And and also another way to look at that would be that Maul was actually pretty close to redemption and just kind of slipped up right, right there at the last second with the vengeance read on the situation. But while he didn't perhaps get redemption, he certainly got uh, a measure of forgiveness from Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is, you know, anyway. Well, he, yeah, Obi-Wan did show a remarkable amount of compassion toward Darth Maul at the end. Well, he, it's, it's kind of interesting to see Obi-Wan cradle Darth Maul just like he cradled two people in his life who Darth Maul killed. The two most important people in his life who Darth Maul took from him. As Qui-Gon and Satine. That's right. And he gives Darth Maul the, the same treatment that he gave them. I mean, that's amazing. Wow, that's amazing. Now, a line of dialogue that occurred at that moment, and and we are going to get into this chosen one thing pretty soon. But just let's do it. Fine, yeah, I did the Mortis trilogy. I don't care. Let's do it. <laughs> Before we get to that, I just have one question to ask about the dialogue when he asks Obi Wan about the chosen one avenging us. He says, and so the us is. Uh, I'm curious to know. Who you consider the us to be? Is it Maul and Obi Wan? Is it Maul and Savage? Is it the whole galaxy? The whole galaxy. Yeah. Who is he referring Guys, to? I think it refers to all any and all of those answers. I think are correct. I you know if you say that it's Maul and Obi Wan, well then you would say that twin sons refers to these two orphaned apprentices, right? If you say it's the whole galaxy, well, that makes a hell of a lot of sense since Darth Sidious um, 
manipulated the entire galaxy to his ends and, and turned it into something dark and by all by all accounts unbalanced. But to Darth Sidious, he'd be like, no, it's perfectly balanced. This is the way it's supposed to be. Um, they, uh, I mean, that's the thing with the Sith. Uh, any kind of prophecy about a chosen one or any of that, that's something that the Sith would... The Sith don't just observe prophecy and just wait for it to happen and, and help to, you know, create circumstances to let that flourish. They try to force it into happening. It's sort of a part of Anakin's downfall. It's what Darth Sidious has been doing throughout this entire thing. Looking into the future to see how he can manipulate events to make them exactly the way that he sees them. So... So uh, I don't remember what how that played in, <laughs> but uh, just the fact who, yeah, who you guys referring to when he said we, it could be the galaxy. The mm -hmm. galaxy needs to settle accounts. It could be Darth Maul and Obi Wan, which would certainly make them the twin sons, the orphaned apprentices. Um, it could be uh, him and Savage. The you know, I mean, Savage is basically for Darth Maul. That's that's Qui Gon. That's Satine. That's. Um, that's his loss. One of the fun things, see, it's, you can put Obi-Wan Kenobi in an episode, right? Old Ben Kenobi, the Alec Guinness version. And if you have Stephen Stanton performing it the way that he does, you will get that character. You could put Darth Maul in an episode and you, I'll perform it and you'll get that character. But nothing is going to make you feel emotion unless the setup is right. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this, because Twin Sons doesn't just... Now it's not just about um, it's not just about Darth Maul. It's also about Kanan and Ezra. It's also about Luke and Anakin. It's all of those things. Um, and how does Ezra lead you to a place where you're ready to have an emotional response to Darth Maul and Obi Wan? Um, because I promise you, if you just played that scene in a vacuum without the episode around it, it doesn't have the same resonance. And there's a reason why you feel the resonance when you watch the episode, and that's because Ezra is not permitted to observe these two characters together until he has walked a few steps in their shoes, or in Darth Maul's case, his metal boots. Um, <laughs> Ezra arrives on the planet, and the moment he realizes, oh, this is a trap, an explosion occurs, and there's a fighting, and there's sand people, and all this stuff happens— and then when it's convenient, Darth Maul shuts down the conflict. What does that remind you of? A situation where there's a huge conflict where the Jedi know that they're being manipulated, but they're forced to participate anyway, and then the Sith shut it down when they feel like. Is that familiar to anyone? Does sure. that sound like anything? Sure. So that's your, that's your stand-in for the Clone Wars right there. And Ezra trudges onward, wanders the desert, and loses Chopper, which is, you know, he's a droid, but it's still Ezra's friend. It's a miniature version of, I mean, replace Chopper with Anakin, replace Chopper with Savage or Satine. It's like the loss that these men have uh, have experienced and the feeling of having failed their friends, failed everyone, you know, failed their mission, failed everything that they were supposed to be about. Um, and and also, you know, this, this theme of being in the wrong place. Um, the Jedi were in the wrong place throughout the entire war. Yes. They were just slotted into entirely the different a different mindset a different function all of those things so the reason that we can watch an ezra story and have it segue into a darth maul obi-wan story is because ezra's telling the darth maul obi-wan story you know it's like he's he's giving it to you right there so you're getting into that 
thematic mindset before you meet these two gentlemen. I mean, stuff like that, that I'm like, God, I really like Star Wars. Something that really strong. <laughs> hey, you're preaching to the choir there, Sam. Um, something that really I'm having trouble wrapping my head around and actually accepting is the Sith applying any sort of faith toward what is known as Jedi dogma. Things like the prophecy, things like the chosen one seem to be a very Jedi thing and very specific to their religion. However, you hear about now the Sith are showing knowledge of the chosen one. I thought the, sh the Sith worked in a realm that was unnatural, according to the Jedi. And here they are actually applying light side prophecy and Jedi scripture to the, their uh, the, own religion. And I find that that kind of crossover in itself. You're, you're, ass you're assuming that the Sith are getting it from the Jedi prophecy. Um, we don't know exactly where it comes from, but, but there's... Um, and where their prophecy comes from, but there's a, there was talk of this, well, I can't remember what the term was, Sithari or something like that, the perfect being, right? That there would be a perfect being and the Sith would obviously assumed it would be a perfect Sith that would, that would solve all of their problems. And that's, um, according to some theories, that's what Palpatine's looking for when he's looking for his perfect apprentice. He's looking for, you know, the one who would fulfill all of that. And I'm sure Palpatine even suspects that perhaps it's him because he's the guy who through Darth Bane's rule of two for thousand for a thousand years, the Sith have been the Illuminati. They have been the head of a secret organization that has been slowly but surely corrupting the Republic from within. And Palpatine is the guy who actually gets to draw his lightsaber in public and execute the Jedi and Re, you know, resurrect the Sith Empire in in the name of the First Galactic Empire, and uh, and all that stuff. But um, but don't assume that the Sith. I mean, keep in mind, the Sith are an offshoot of the Jedi. That's that's you know, this is a these were people who were experimenting with stuff that the Jedi said you probably shouldn't do that, and then they were exiled. They went off to a corner in the galaxy, and then they came back as this Sith thing, right? So there's there's a lot of I mean they both use lightsabers they both use lightsaber crystals they use all these things I mean there's the the Sith and the Jedi are similar in almost every way. <laughs> um, so you have to remember that this is all part of this is all this is the Sith and the Jedi are part of the same family, um, unfortunately. And uh, I can't speak to whether the prophecy on the Sith side was a separate prophecy that was congruent with the Jedi prophecy or if they got it from the Jedi. I, I, I don't know that, but I do know that they're very up. I mean, like, let's just talk about Jedi prophecy in, in general. The Sith have been stealing and researching Jedi artifacts for a thousand years, probably, I mean, a lot longer than that. But certainly since the Darth Bane thing, when they've been hiding in the shadows, they know everything about the Jedi. They know exactly what these guys are counting on, what they're hoping for, what they're trying to do. And if they didn't know everything about the Jedi, they would not have been able to screw the order so fully in the Clone Wars. So anyway. All right. Well, let's get into it. Sam, you heard our discussion last week, uh, and you accused us of thinking in terms of absolutes as if we are Sith ourselves. So let's talk about this chosen one prophecy. Let's talk about the fact that through 
dialogue in Rebels, it is now being revealed that Luke is considered to be a chosen one or the chosen one at this during this era of Star Wars. And are we dealing with a departure from the prophecy as we know it, or are we dealing with Obi-Wan Kenobi's certain point of view? All right, well, let's let's talk about the first thing. Well, the thing you just said there. Let's talk about Obi-Wan's point of view. Yeah. According to Obi-Wan, there is no chance, no slim possibility, no nothing that Anakin is the chosen one at this point. Right. Or, you know, if he was, he certainly gave up that mantle. Right? It's just not a thing anymore. Um, and, I mean, hell, Return of the Jedi... Because everyone likes to think that, you know, the characters all know what we know having seen all the movies. Well, they haven't seen the movies, guys. They're living through the movies, right? Obi-Wan says, um, you know, you cannot escape your destiny. You must face Darth Vader again. I can't kill my own father. Then the Emperor has already won. You are our only hope. He's not saying, well, we didn't mean kill him. I mean, I think talk to him. No, he's like, take him out. (laughs) I try to convert him. No, don't do no. This man is too dangerous. If you try to convert him, he will manipulate you and kill, either kill you or convert you. You're, you have no chance against this guy. We saw this guy uh, betray and murder everyone that he knows. Um, this is not going to work. He's more machine now than man twisted and evil. Ben Kenobi does not have hope that Anakin can be saved. That's not Ben Kenobi's function in the story either. You know, the thing is, is while Ben Kenobi is enlightened, we have to remember that even enlightened people are not perfect and they don't have, they're not all seeing, all knowing if they were, you don't have a story, you know, if they were, they're also very unrealistic as characters because no one knows everything, you know? Um, so Obi-Wan, if you're going to ask Obi-Wan, yes, he, he must believe that Luke Skywalker is the chosen one. Otherwise, what has he been doing 20 years in the desert here? Mm -hmm. Um, so Obi-Wan is, is behaving exactly to character there. But for the broader issue of, is Luke the chosen one? Here's the thing. Maybe. Now, on Mortis, they made it very clear, Anakin is the chosen one. But then, as someone pointed out to me, they're like, yeah, but Anakin rejected that on Mortis. You're like, that's a very good point. <laughs> you know, like, um, that situation was not solved entirely uh, to the satisfaction of the father. Some might say it was. Some might say, well, no, it did work out, and Anakin was going to go on and be the chosen one. It was confirmed. That's open for debate. Maybe it was confirmed, or maybe Anakin rejected that calling. Um, Luke Skywalker certainly um, fulfills the promise of the prophecy by inspiring a situation where balance of the forces is achieved. However, Anakin is the one that makes the choice. And this is where I go with the chosen one thing. This is something I have never really said uh, in any interview. Um, late on us. All right. I'm going to hit you with something and, and you're either going to agree or you're going to disagree, but this has always been kind of my interpretation of the choice. Right, I'm sitting up straight for this one. I'm, I'm, I'm strapping in. Go ahead. Sam. I'm, I'm hoping Dave Filoni somewhere out there is listening. Cause I, I, I get the feeling that he wouldn't necessarily, that he wouldn't disagree with me. I mean, I, here's the thing, the chosen one. I feel like people like George kept that thing. So vague. Right. He kept it vague and he called it the chosen one prophecy. And then he even in Revenge of the Sith, a prophecy that misread could have been even brings up doubt that Anakin is the chosen one. Right. In his own movie and in the Mortis trilogy, like Lucas did what he did. Um, 
but our understanding of what a chosen one is, you know, unfortunately, I mean, like, I think the depth of most people in de- pop culture, when they hear the chosen one, they think the golden child, right? Who's okay. just like this perfect kid who eats a leaf and, and then can do magic powers as Eddie Murphy tries to save him with the Ajanti dagger, right? That's about as far as it goes in terms of mm. chosen ones, <laughs> the golden child, right? And in the golden child, it's, you know, what? You know, every 5,000 generations, the golden child is born, a perfect child who will save the world. I don't know that that's what the Chosen One prophecy is in Star Wars. I don't think it's a, there's a guy that's, we're going to point to him even before he's born. And because we pointed to him before he's born, he will save the universe. It's been, you know, preordained, you know, this is just his destiny. Because Star Wars is way more about choice. Star Wars is way more about making good choices, making the right choice or making the wrong choice and then having to suffer some pretty bad consequences. And I kind of always looked at the chosen one as a from a different point of view. Um, it's not it is this person who has been chosen. It's it is this person who has chosen. The chosen one is the one who has chosen, the decided one, the one who has decided which side they're going to champion. And that is always a very difficult – that decision is never given significance unless the decision is very, very difficult to make. Anakin trying to figure out whether he's going to back Mace Windu or save Palpatine's life, and he makes the wrong choice. And because he makes the wrong choice, he loses choice altogether. He supports a – dictatorship what is a dictatorship but a complete lack of choice on the part of the people who live in the dictatorship i mean the guy has a house on mustafar do you think that's anakin's choice do you think he was like i want to i want a castle <laughs> oh, great where would you like it i would like it on mustafar no no <laughs> that's not a choice that was that choice was made for him by palpatine um you can ask pablo about that uh <laughs> like this is Darth Vader is the epitome of a character who has no choices. Mm-hmm. He has no choices. He doesn't even have a choice as to, I mean, his, his physical appearance was chosen for him by Palpatine. The armor that he wears did not need to be as fearsome. It didn't need to have these Sith robes and all that. But Palpatine was like, no, here's, here's who you are now. You wear this mask. You wear this armor. You wear this iron lung. That's what you do because he made one wrong choice. And, um, and George's movies are all about that. Sometimes when you make the wrong choice or give up a certain choice and defer to someone to make the choice for you, you lose the privilege of making choices for a long, long time. Maybe by <laughs> removing that free will from Anakin, as, as they say, the force moves in mysterious ways. Perhaps Anakin was put in that position so he couldn't control his his destiny. He couldn't go off in whatever direction he wanted to. He was placed firmly on the path that would lead him to his eventual redemption and his destiny as the chosen one. If his free will and all personal individuality was removed from him, maybe that's the only course that he could be put on to then achieve his destiny. What do you think of that, Sam? It's possible. I mean, I, I, where I was going with it, I mean, all of that is possible. Where, where I was going with it is Anakin as Vader makes one meaningful choice, and it's a choice that costs him his life, and that's to save someone else. It's a selfless choice. And at that point, if he wasn't the chosen one up until then, if he lost that, that 
moniker or that name, that, that quality, he certainly got it back at that point. He was the one who had, tro- you know, he was the one who had chosen and he, he made the right choice. He chose to, uh, to champion his son over a wicked, a wicked dictator who was hurting a lot of people. Now we uh, heard George Lucas in interviews say without question, Anakin Skywalker is the chosen one. Do you think it's possible to now tell the story via a different perspective as we move forward with the sequel trilogy and create a scenario where Luke Skywalker actually does rise up to become the chosen one? It, 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 it gets spelled out to us in black and white through dialogue or events that happen in episode eight or nine, where with clarity, Luke Skywalker is the chosen one. Do you think the saga has the ability and the flexibility to change a few decades worth of establishment of Anakin Skywalker as the chosen one? Well, considering the fact that always in motion is the future and, and uh, this is all has to do with point of view. I mean, I, I think you could make that argument about Luke even right now, while I just sat there and argued that Anakin ultimately became the chosen one again, if he hadn't if he wasn't the chosen one. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. The other part about Anakin and Balance of the Force is that he spends exactly half his life saving lives and exactly half his life killing and oppressing people. I mean, it's really, it's, you can cut into this in a lot of different directions and it's, it's really interesting stuff. Um, but ultimately, I think you can make an argument for Luke um, in that his entire journey is all about making very difficult choices and he doesn't always make the right one but i'll tell you something about luke is he continues making them he never stops making them anakin at some point stops making them unless the emperor make them for him and uh you know and then the only choices he makes are how to carry out his master's will so i've always looked at it as the, the chosen one it's it's not eddie murphy and the golden child that a kid was born and and it's it, it's it was always going to be this kid you know it was always meant to be you know, this kid that was born in, you know, Evanston Hospital, you know, on this floor at this time, and only that person. It's like, no, I think it's the chosen one is more of a more of a, a quality you gain by being the person who is brave enough to make hard choices and make the right choices under really difficult circumstances. Sam, the one who has chosen. Were you born in Evanston Hospital? I mean, look. Who knows where I was born? <laughs> Who knows if I was born? I could have been grown for all you know. You are. The, I, 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 go with, I go with hatched, Sam. I Listen, I, hatched. I had a very difficult conversation with Dave Filoni uh, when I was in Luke, at Lucasfilm, and, and he talked about something about how the midichlorians could create life in Evanston Hospital. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> Dave had me created for the purpose of playing Darth Maul. Well, um, we, we have a worldwide audience, Sam. So, I mean, obviously, I know where Evanston is. It's on uh, the North Shore here, the Chicago suburbs, and and very close to where you grew up. But I don't think most other people listening to the show realize that. So. It's better if they don't know. <laughs> you want to maintain the mystery, you know? So, you know what? Swank was uh, really upset. And uh, I, I, I'm just wondering if any of what Sam is saying here right now, Jason, is, is this helping like calm you down a little bit? Or Jason, I think, believes that they're retconning this to make Luke Skywalker the chosen one. Yeah, because he's in the I, new movie. I, I don't think I don't think that that would be how they would go about things. That isn't it's not really it's like it's like the 
it's like the thing that people say where they're like, oh, the only reason the Ewoks were in Return of the Jedi is George wanted to sell toys. And that's not really George Lucas. That's not what he does. You know, if that was if if George Lucas, I remember someone saying, oh, actually, I might even go there. <laughs> that's it's about to give away a little piece of no, secret information. No, 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 I don't. But, I don't. I don't really believe that it. it's because he's in the in the new movie. But I do think that it is it's a uh, it's a significant pivot. It's a it's a big change. Uh, and, and I say that because, and I'm, I'm really tortured by it. I grew up believing that, I mean, Luke Skywalker was my first hero. You know, he was the first mm-hmm. hero that I looked up to. Um, and so, you know, when we, all of a sudden we had to kind of change our point of view and look at Vader as sort of the hero and then the anti-hero of the saga, that was a big adjustment. Um, but I got used to it. And I accepted the fact that in terms of the Skywalker story, as we know it, that it's really about Vader and Anakin and Anakin is the chosen one. And I I don't think that I don't think that George and his storytelling outside of the one uh, dial, uh, you know, bit of dialogue from Yoda that I think was thrown in there just to show just that there is another point of view that could exist but between that, between what we saw in Mortis, I don't think there's any doubt that the Star Wars saga under the helm of George Lucas it is Anakin Skywalker is the chosen one. Now, all of a sudden, you've got this uh, you know, dying Maul looking up at Obi-Wan and they have this moment. And I'm willing to go a couple of different ways on this. I mean, I'm willing to go with the that is what Obi-Wan believes to be true at the time. And I think that that's you know that's that's fine. But if we're if we're looking at a you know a a, a real change in terms of canonical uh, a canonical change as to who is the chosen one by definition, and then all of a sudden it's Luke, I'm very suspicious of that. Well, here here's the thing. Like again, what what do you think Obi Wan would have said? There's nothing he could say other than he is. Yes. There's nothing he can say. That's. It, well, all first the, of all, they say he says, he, "Is it the chosen one? Is right. it the chosen one?" So the question is, you know, is that one we talking about? The one we were just dis- discussing. Yeah, is it as in the reason you're here, the chosen one? I'm watching Kitster. Well, then, and <laughs> Obi Wan says he is, and then you're right. Obi Wan says he is, and I think that if they wanted to be more. Um, if they were telling it from Obi-Wan's point of view, I think the line would be, I believe he is. Oh, see, but that's that shows awareness. Like that shows like a third party awareness that that the characters in the movie don't have. Guys, uh, like it's is these are the same people who forget that the Yoda of wars not make one great and all that stuff is a post Clone Wars Yoda. He is not that wise when it comes to what happened in the Clone Wars. Here, here's an example. You guys Star Trek fans at all? Sure. I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you guys ever seen The Trouble with Tribbles? Yes. Okay. <laughs> there's a scene where there's this guy, and for those that are not Star Trek fans, I'll explain the situation. There's this dude who's like a snake oil salesman, this guy named Cyrano Jones, this big guy who's just trying to sell everyone all this great stuff. And he's trying to sell all these things, some of which have, you know, a little bit of value, some of which are pretty clearly worthless. And he goes, and he goes, oh, surely you want uh, spike and flame gems. And he's trying to pawn off these gemstones on this bartender. 
And the bartender goes, spike and flame gems. I already have enough spike and flame gems. A lap may ask me a lifetime. You know, so clearly this guy forgot that he sold him a bunch of these spike and flame gems. Then he goes, oh, 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 well, the spike and flame gems. Well, surely you want some Antarian glow water. And he pulls this flask like this, that this is the semi-precious liquid, you know, Antarian glow water. Would you like to buy this? And the bartender goes, I use that to polish the flame gems. And you're like, and, and the meaning in the episode is, dude, you already sold me that too. I have so much of that crap that I just dump it on the worthless gems you sold me. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the joke. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, he would not have said if someone said, you know, do you want to buy a car? You already sold me a car. What about some gasoline? I use gasoline in the car. You know, he wouldn't, that doesn't make any sense. There's, there's no, there's no joke there. There's no right. reason why say the obvious, you know, we know that cars run on gas and why would he make a comment of, I, you know, you're trying to sell me the gas for the car that you sold. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, if you look up on the Star Trek sort of Wikipedia thing and you look up Antarian glow water, it says a sort of blah, blah, fluid that is used to polish spike and flame gems. And you're just like, dude, you missed the joke. Some super literal guy or girl was watching the episode, heard the dialogue, I use that to polish the flame gems. He goes, okay, so this glow water is used to polish flame gems. With no idea, you're like, not listening to the context. I'm not, not that guy. Fact. Are you well, what I'm saying is, for Obi-Wan Kenobi to say he is, and for you guys to say, they've definitively said it's Luke Skywalker, it's like, dude, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a character in this as much as anyone who goes through his own arc and discovers things. This is the same guy who people totally forget says to Luke Skywalker, kill your father. Kill your father. Our enlightened, enlightened Obi-Wan Kenobi, who, by the way, is coming from a point of view of, you know, having uh, performed a mercy kill on Darth Maul, and he's not saying murder your father. He's saying this guy needs to go. And if you need to do it in a nice way, that's probably the best way, but he can't be allowed to continue to do what he's doing, you know? Mm -hmm. But he doesn't say, go redeem him. Everyone thinks he does because we know the end of the story, but that's not what he says. No. You never hear him say, go kill your father. No, but, yeah. Luke, but, 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 Luke, is putting, but Luke is putting words in his mouth. But, but I'm not saying that's not what he's implying. But, I'm not saying that's not what he's implying, but, but he never says it. But no way to stop, because stop, he stop. does say he sees I right. can't kill my own father. And then Obi-Wan says, well, then the Emperor's already won. He's showing right. disappointment in that decision from Luke. Thank you. Thank you. You do not. You see, look at you're even trying to fight it now. Obi-Wan's the perfect knight. No, he's not. No one's perfect in these movies. If you have perfect characters, why make a movie? Yoda and Obi-Wan were breeding Luke to kill the Emperor and Darth Vader. There he was sent there to redeem him. He was sent there to wipe him out. Luke Skywalker is significant because he figures out the solution that no one thinks of, that Vader can be redeemed. That's the whole significance. If everyone was up on that idea that that could be done, Luke's not a hero. Luke's only a hero because he comes up with that himself. Swank. Our mind blown. Jason's laying down right now. No, 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 no. No, but hold on. And, and as that, the, the way that that uh, relates is like, there's an example in the movie of Obi-Wan Kenobi not being omniscient. And guess what? He's no more omniscient in this Rebel episode. In fact, he's decidedly less omniscient 
than he was back then. So he's, Obi-Wan is capable of being wrong. He's very unperfect. He is a great Jedi Knight, as Qui-Gon predicted, oh, but okay, he's, so he's Obi-Wan, nothing right, perfect. Obi-Wan, sure. Okay, so Obi-Wan is, is capable of being wrong, but, you know, I don't think that... Uh, I don't think that it fits the style of storytelling that is Star Wars in this case. That I think that Glowwater is far, not made. It's to far too definitive. It's far too definitive. Obi Wan saying that is far. It's far too definitive. Why? A certain point of view. Because of the weight of the character. So it's so when he said kill Darth Vader when he was saying Luke, you have to go and confront him. I can't kill my father. Well, then the Emperor's already won. That wasn't weighty. Well, I'm not saying that that no no no, I'm saying that that when you put the words in the character's mouth, he is as in he is the chosen one referring to Luke, that is a that is that's not an exercise in showing Obi-Wan's point of view. And if it is, it's far too ham-fisted for the style of storytelling that I think is Many do think that line of dialogue was put there very specifically to create a new attitude about Luke Skywalker. And like I said, it's open for debate. You know, maybe there's more than one uh, person who has chosen. Maybe the chosen one shifts who it is at any given time. Or on the other hand, maybe one is just wrong. Because that's the thing. You have to create drama. Well, why, here, well, why, why, why waste my time with Obi-Wan being wrong? I mean, I, I, I think that... Because it's so, can, I, can I tell you why? In the same, <laughs> for the same reason that George Lucas said there is another. Because he wanted to create doubt that Luke would get maybe killed. It's called drama, guys. You try to mislead the audience. Yeah, but you we see, already know. But we already know the end. Yeah, but the great thing is the kids that are watching this show haven't seen the movies yet, some of them. Like, I've met a lot of kids who, Star Wars was the Clone Wars. When the Clone Wars was airing, that was Star Wars. When, um, it's like, look at Rogue One. You notice that, that the Jarek table that they were playing on? Did, ever, did you ever go, like, why isn't that holographic? And you go, oh, right, because they're thinking, you're probably going to watch Star Wars after this. And if we have a holographic table here, why do they even feature it in the next movie? Or, like, you go, why was there even a different uh, style of AT-AT on Scarif? And you go, oh, right, because they're building... To the moment on when Rogue Squadron attacks the Adats on Hoth, and Luke says, "That armor is too strong for blasters. It's upping the stakes." So, for this very same reason, they're looking at this as a self-contained thing. They're not assuming that you've seen all the movies and that you're just looking to, you know, I don't know, like get your Star Wars jollies off. They're covering their bases, dude. If you watch Clone Wars, there are very few. I mean, they're there, but in six years, there is there are decidedly few hints that Palpatine is Darth Sidious. And Dave and I talked about that specifically. Be like, yeah, he's like, dude, maybe the kids haven't seen Revenge of the Sith yet. Like, you can't make that assumption because everyone starts at a different point at this point. People were like, I constantly get uh, uh, questions on Twitter. What are order should I watch the Star Wars movies in? I've never seen them. All right, so this line of dialogue is potentially thrown in there to, to throw the kids off the track that, it's, that Anakin's the, the chosen one. The only thing you can do when you are portraying a situation is just stay true to the character. And that's what they did. 
They stay true to the character while opening up a very interesting debate for larger fans. But you have to do both. You can't have Obi-Wan saying, I believe he is because I know that I'm the audience knows I'm wrong or maybe I'm wrong. They'll debate it, but I'm going to say something to hedge bets. No, he would just be like. He better be, or I've been out in the desert for twenty years for no reason. But you know, here, I just here's, it, but here's the here's the problem though. The 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 problem with that is that I I don't have an issue with Obi Wan being wrong. What I have an issue with is it doesn't feel that way. There's nothing that telegraphs Obi Wan being wrong. There's not there's nothing that betrays it other than the conclusion that, well, is this, is this a change? Is this, you know, when, when people hire an actor for a show, uh, there was something, there was a show, uh, situation where there were writers who sometimes get really insecure and they keep certain things from actors because they're afraid that if they tell the actors the whole story, the actors are going to give it away. And they're only half right on that. It really means basically, if you've hired actors who are not very smart, yes, letting the actors know the whole story means that they will build into their performance that they know when their characters are not quite on the level where their characters are about to fail, but they think they're doing the right thing. They build that into their performance in an unconscious way where it's just way too obvious and it's not very interesting to watch. Uh, when you have good actors who are there, who are really know what they're doing, and you have writers who trust that and good writers – they tell the actors the whole thing, knowing that the actors will obscure the things we're going to learn later. The very, actors very will actually famously, facts. Yes, very famously, J.K. Rowling told uh, uh, the actor um, playing Snape in the films the, the, the truth behind the character. And so, so that um, – why is his name escaping? Uh, Alan Rickman. So that Alan Rickman <laughs> would be able to play the role knowing what the ending was. And I mean, I'll tell you something right now. The actors that that if they're saying something that they know is wrong, that that the you know, and they sort of wink at the audience there, those actors don't get hired by the best producers because they go, "What is that guy doing? What is that? That is not how we do it. You play the moment honestly, and mm-hmm. honestly, in this moment, that character does not. He believes this, so you play that as if it's the truth. And that's why some of these writers don't tell actors the truth because they're not they're afraid that some of these actors are going to indicate. So all you can do, all you can do is start from a place of truth. And Obi-Wan is speaking his truth. And and at the same time, for people who haven't, you know, have seen all the movies, it opens up a really interesting debate. I mean, we don't even know what the chosen one prophecy is. Like I said, for me, it's always been the title has been misunderstood. It's not this person was born here at this place at this time. No, it's, it's this person has chosen. This person has made a choice. This person has been brave enough to make a choice. That's what, always what it's been for me. Um, and who's to say that I'm wrong? I mean, George never made it explicit what exactly that meant. It just seems very interesting that it, the topic is even being broached between the two subjects, Obi-Wan and Maul. It seems like it was put in there very specifically to chart course in a new direction with storytelling and to create a new foundation moving forward that takes us away from the concept of Anakin Skywalker being the chosen one and now shifting it over to Luke Skywalker. And what you were saying, Sam, about the there could be multiple chosen ones. 
I guess you wouldn't call it chosen one. Then at, at that point, it would just be the chosen individual. The chosen uh, few. The chosen. No, the, the thing chosen. That you guys, you guys keep missing it. It's the one who has chosen, the chosen one, the decided one, the one who has made up their minds. Was made the choice. Is is there? It is. You're defining it. Where we're looking at it more like that. This is within the character's destiny. The Golden it's, Child. Yeah, Eddie Murphy. I, it's a great movie. Golden Child. Wow. No, I mean, no, it's, no, it, no, it's not The Golden Child. It's episode one, The Phantom Menace. It's a character with immaculate conception. It's ah, very, very clear. It's very it clear is. what George was doing. And oh, except if, for the it, fact that he, but he even throws that into, a, into doubt when Sidious hints that perhaps he created that. He did that. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that... That doesn't, that doesn't mean he couldn't be the chosen one. Well, like I said, it's all open for debate. I remember after Revenge of the Sith, a lot of us were like, dude, I think maybe Luke is the chosen one. This, this is not a new thing for people to debate where, this, uh, where that title lands. Not at all. Not you guys are late to the game. What? Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I'll tell you what, Sam, it's really compelling, and and we're just really interested to see what direction the saga will move in. But we know George Lucas was firmly convinced that Anakin Skywalker was a chosen one. However, he did leave himself a few outs, most notably that line about that Yoda says uh, the prophecy may have been misread. And then, Sam, you bring up the Mortis trilogy where Anakin Skywalker does deny that as being his destiny. But again, we know the Mortis uh, story is all being told in metaphor anyway. So it's cannot escape your destiny. Yeah. Yeah. So, Wow. Great arguments. I don't think Swank will ever be pacified. That's uh, right. I think he's holding here's, it all back right now. And as soon as so, you get off the line, he's going to curse me out. I, I understand that. But here's here's the thing. Um, <laughs> what? I think anyone that I, think, no, I, I, I can think feel of, his anger. Yeah, I, I can <laughs> feel Swank's anger swelling within him. Take your weapon, Swank. Strike me down with all of your hatred. Um, no, no. The, the, here's the thing. Uh, you can I defend mean, Star Wars by committee all you want. That's all but right. here's, do you? I mean, do you guys really want like an answer to this? Because no, this I don't. is this is no. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, I mean, that's I think it's the point is like creating a situation where people debate. That's yeah. that's the fun of it. What we just did here, that's the fun of it. Yeah, that is the most fun. And and I hate when. Um, People want it all to be wrapped up immediately, and they they don't want that time to let it breathe and let the theories to start flying and have debates like we're having. This stuff is a lot of fun to me. I mean, we basically filled up every moment of the years between 1980 and 1983 with debates like this about who's the other. Is Han Solo going to survive? Uh, is Darth Vader Luke's father? These were things that filled up all those years during the original trilogy era. So I'd like to have these debates. I don't like things to be settled via interviews like this or tweets from Star Wars insiders and stuff like that. I like the debate to go on. And- no, I think, I think, I mean, he, he left it so ambiguous. I, I think a very strong case can be made for either one of those gentlemen or even a character that we have not yet considered. Yes. One. I mean, I, I really do believe that. I don't think that it's ma- been made so explicit as to uh, not be able to be reinterpreted. I, I don't think that at all. You know? you know, a lot of people like to 
place uh, that line that Yoda says, no, there is another. And they like to say, oh, well, he was talking about Ray or he was talking about, you know, some, and, and it's, it's hard to say because Yo, I mean, Obi-Wan himself very firmly states to Luke, the other Yoda spoke of is your twin sister. And uh, so, I mean, I, I don't think that is Obi-Wan guessing or wondering who Yoda thought the other was. I think these two communicated about probably talked about a plan B. It was their plan B. Well, right. if you can't get Luke to do it, we'll get the uh, we'll get Leia to do it. Well, you know, what's what's funny about that plan B is that they actually were talking about a Ray like character. And, and that's no joke. I'm, I'm not even kidding you there. The original idea was that there were going to be a lot more Star Wars films. Yes. And there was you were going to discover that there was a female Skywalker completely elsewhere in the galaxy having her own Star Wars adventures mm-hmm. that we're going to lock into and realize that she was on a similar path to Luke's, which gave them the latitude of, hey, maybe Luke doesn't succeed. Maybe she has to come in and rescue him. Maybe this, you know, there was there were a lot of ideas and those ideas have now found expression in Ray. So so everyone's saying that, yeah, it's but here's true. A, I'm but sure here's that's a- what they Here's a question. So, I mean, you talk about the nut, the core of Star Wars, and certainly the Chosen One prophecy, the role of Anakin Vader in the galaxy and his son, all of that. I mean, that is really, uh, really the, a big part of the heart of what the Star Wars saga is about. It, it's certainly the, the Skywalker saga, we'll put it that way. Why right. why open this can of worms now? Why re-examine the Chosen One prophecy now? That's that's a question why n- I have. Why not? Why not? <laughs> but why? But why? You know. Well, it could, be, it, it could be because of things that Ryan Johnson put into the script of Episode 8. That very well could be. I, I um, you know, I only skimmed the script, so I really don't entirely know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's looking quickly. at it right now. I'm, I, yeah, I mean, I've got it right here, but like, I just don't have the time to go through it, guys. He keeps it in the magazine rack in his bathroom. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Episode eight script. There it is. Why are the pages right. red? Oh, don't worry about it. That's funny, Sam. Well, you know what? A very enlightening conversation about some of the broader issues of uh, Star Wars. Uh, the the chosen one is suddenly something we certainly have been debating for years prior to this, and we're going to debate it probably for years to come. And I'm looking forward to stuff like that. And I hope you're going to be with us, Sam, when we do so. But what I want to do is talk about Darth Maul and the fact that we're dealing with now, um, you divorcing yourself from the character in, in many ways. <laughs> we, we had a nasty divorce. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're split, like? You know what the good news is? <laughs> the good news is we decided we're splitting things down the middle. So we're going to be good. <laughs> so you get the spider legs, huh? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, but so, what I just want to ask you um, now, now that you've uh, you know, crossed the finish line for now, with the character of Darth Maul. I mean, here's a character that you inherited. It was a character created by George Lucas, brought to life by guys like Ray Park and Peter Serafinowicz. And now you got your chance to, uh, to, to play that, that character. And, and I just am, am wondering what is the thing you're most proud of that you brought to the character? What dimension, what, what wrinkle did you add to Darth Maul that you're particularly proud of? I, I guess, I guess I'm most proud of the fact that people feel really sad right now 
<laughs> that's I'm happy about that. Well, like being at your own funeral, huh? It's their sorrow. <laughs> yes, their sorrow is delicious. Um, it's, it's I like making people unhappy, just in general. And uh, so, so to to know that there are so many unhappy people out there, just dissatisfied people, and that I have any part of that is really. <laughs> No, but, but I'll be honest. Yeah, it is. It is that people feel bad for this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, I think about that uh, Infinity's comic. Was it an Infinity's comic where Darth Maul appears in the desert and attacks Obi Wan, and and, yes. and Uncle Owen shoots him in the back of the head with the with the rifle, um, and uh, the treatment that he was given. I, I really enjoyed that comic, by the way. But the treatment that he was given in there was just a monster, right? And he had his, the chicken legs that we borrowed from that. And, uh, and he was scary and they killed him. And, uh, and it turns out the way that we did it later, um, people felt a good deal of sympathy for him. That's the thing I'm the most proud of that they had sympathy for this guy who was essentially a murderer and a madman and all this stuff. I was, I, I'm very happy that they actually on some level, um, Felt bad for him. Well, see, so, you had me. You had me going uh, all the way through, thinking that he was going to eventually be completely redeemed. So, I really did believe it. So, oh, we what? Saw you were what? able to develop, you know, um, sympathy for the character. Absolutely, which is, yeah. He, uh, the, the, I think the thing that I'm proud about, or the thing that I feel very justified about, is seeing all this sympathy that people have for the character. And I think back to when we did the the madness in the cave, the spider legs, all that stuff, and how fifty that was really kind of divisive for the fans. It seemed like half of the fans were like, "Whoa, that's really interesting. Let's see where this goes." And then the other half of the fans were like, "That's not Darth Maul. You ruined the character. He doesn't he doesn't have spider legs, and he doesn't talk crazy. He's, oh man!" And we were totally aware that some people would feel that way, and that's why we very very much on purpose. Uh, steered him toward the um you know that perfect assassin that he was in phantom menace after the spider legs and we we stayed there for a moment and then we moved beyond it right we wanted to sort of at some point give you back the darth maul that people were expecting to have but we also knew that if we didn't do something really bold like him going mad then there was no there was no weight to the fact that he'd been cut in half and and also it just gave us a, a chance to to just crack open his head, you know, and his heart and show everyone the suffering of the dark side and, and how bad it actually is under, say, Darth Vader's mask and Darth Vader's private moments. He has moments of madness and anguish and melancholy and the same thing with the Emperor or Count Dooku. And so but but the reason I bring that up is um, if we hadn't done that, I don't think anyone would feel bad for this guy if we hadn't shown him in a really pitiful state um they they would not have cared if we had you know made him very raw and been very honest about how bad things are for this guy so i i'm very happy that we did that you know and, and giving him a brother a family member you yep. know you really expanded him and made him much more human in doing so clancy um the other th- the other thing that's helpful is frankly Clancy Brown's characterization of Savage Press, because Clancy somehow in well in the storytelling, Dave Filoni, George Lucas, all of those wonderfully talented people created a story where their monster, their Frankenstein monster, Savage Press, was it really a victim. 
So when you had Clancy teamed up with Maul, some of that also carried over to Maul as well. So I have to thank Clancy for that, um, for Maul to care about uh, Savage and vice versa. Um, that that helps humanize Maul greatly. For sure, for sure. Well, I mean, do you think there's an opportunity in the future for you to actually return to the role of Darth Maul? I mean, you never know. Oh, I mean, he's not dead, if that's what you guys are saying. Like, he isn't, this doesn't kill him. Like, he's in next season of Rebels. I don't know. (laughs) You guys know that, right? Actually, Darth Maul's the chosen one. I tell you what, I believe it. I believe it. He says, is it the chosen one? He goes, he is. And they cut, yeah, they cut the line where... Both Obi Wan and Darth Maul give each other a knowing look and start snickering, and, they got, <laughs> and I think at one point Maul even looks to camera and then looks back at Obi Wan knowingly. You're like, "Oh man, we're really gonna mess with the people, people right now. They're gonna have all kinds of debates. Swank's gonna go nuts." And then <laughs> and then Maul dies, but you you never see Obi Wan bury him. And and uh, the next season, you're really gonna get some very cool barbecue scenes with Maul and Obi Wan. <laughs> I've got a Wikipedia page to update now because they already built the campfire in terms of they have the assets for that, but they're building right now the hot dogs and the s'mores that Obi-Wan and Maul are going to. Anyway, I I don't want to look at what he was actually cooking there at the end of that stick. I couldn't see what it was. I think he was tending the flame, my friends. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess there wasn't anything being cooked. It was a bantha. It was a bantha (laughs) wiener. A bantha yeah, wiener, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was a chunk of hamburger at the end. Yeah. No, I, I don't I mean it's it, a bantha wiener. Like, like as in Frankfurter, Frankfurter. I oh, say. oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I went somewhere else. Yeah, I shouldn't say sorry. bantha wiener. That sounds weird. Yeah, it does. Well, Sam, like so. that thing that they throw up on Fl- Fred Flintstone's car. There, that's <laughs> exactly the same thing. We, we find out that the Flintstones and Star Wars Rebels is the same cinematic universe, but that's all season four. Dave is going to kill me for telling you guys this stuff. <laughs> well, we had to find out sooner or later. That's why they make the sand crawlers so large, so they can t- transport the bantha wieners on top. <laughs> That's right. You you don't see the underside of the ba- of the sand crawlers, which just has a whole bunch of Jawas uh, with their legs going crazy against that sand. <laughs> so. Looks like a centipede underneath. It does. It does because it's a big, big thing. It takes a lot of little legs to keep that going. So you guys, you guys are not. I'm spoiling too much. And I know, man. Oh man, I. Luke's upset. the chosen one. Um, Luke's the chosen one. 100. There is no debate. He is 100 yeah. the chosen right. one. Uh, Spike and flame gems are polished with uh, glow water. We know that. Yes. For yeah. sure. Um. Captain and, Obvious uh, there. Yeah. Captain Obvious is is the new uh rebel commander from season four. <laughs> um, Soon to yeah. be an action figure from Gentle hey, Giant. Have you guys seen the uh did they give you a screener of the uh finale? I saw the finale today, just hours before this conversation. Yes. Oh my yeah. I did see the finale and I'm afraid to even say anything about it. No, I won't uh, say anything about it either. I, here's all I'm saying. Cool nods toward Rogue One and the expanded universe. You'll see yeah. things. You I will see that's, things. That's we'll fair things. to say. Yes, you'll see things. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
but yes. it's good it, stuff. It's exciting and, and very Star Warsy. I will say that about yeah, that. it takes place in the Star Wars universe. That episode, doesn't it? <laughs> well, you know what I mean about the feels, and oh. also what I like about the season finale, the two parter, is it that it spreads the wealth amongst all the characters. So you get you really get taken on a lot of different individual adventures throughout the two part episode. So I I disagree with that because I do. I do. I feel like some characters were really underserviced by the finale. Um, um, (laughs) Some actors were not given enough dialogue. Um, Oh God. Anyway, I think they're making huge mistakes. I'll be honest. (laughs) They're, They're driving the show into the ground. And, uh, and you know, we'll just see them do it without me. Let's see them do, do it without me for a little bit. They'll get used. They'll see how badly that goes. And then Dave's going to come crawling back saying, <laughs> hey, man, what if he survived? And I'm going to go, yeah, 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 sure. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. How much are you going to pay me this time? And then we'll negotiate. And then you're going to see, maybe you're going to see Maul in season five. It'll be an entire season about Maul. Or how about a whole spin-off series about Maul? Well, no, See, that, now, I, that now we're talking. See, I think yeah, we could get yeah. into that. Now, now we're finally making sense because I'll tell you, <laughs> it's just the, show, it's, the show's not cutting it. Let's just say it; it's not cutting it. <laughs> Sam, I think uh, Rebel Force Radio is going to start representing you uh, moving forward uh, with all Darth Maul hey, projects. Finally, right. um, one thing, Sam. What does it say about me as a parent that my uh, four-year-old his favorite character is darth maul uh yeah you need to watch that kid <laughs> keep an eye on him <laughs> just like look he's probably a great kid just keep an eye on him like yeah have you seen dexter you ever seen dexter like how they kept an eye on that kid yeah right. <laughs> he's dexter right right i i keep thinking of the oh, warren zevon song excitable boy yeah. Oh, right. nice. He's instead just of excitable boy, <laughs> instead of having a lab, he has a Darth Maul action figure. <laughs> Isn't that interesting, though, guys? That that the, the I've um, I was over at a buddy's place, uh, Ken Mitchell's, and he's got a, a little kid who I think he's like four, and he's fascinated by the uh, villain characters in Star yeah. Wars. He just loves Darth Vader, Darth Maul, and Kylo Ren. So those are like his favorite characters. So either we're raising. A whole generation of psychopaths, or, um, <laughs> or this whole thing about them being um, layered and interesting and and weirdly um, uh, sympathetic—that's uh, working on yeah. some level. Well, and I also and, think that, that that you know, little kids where they see their lives being con- they're constantly told what to do, when to do it, all the time, and the villains kind of have this incredible independence and i think that's one of the things they're drawn to nobody's telling darth vader what to do he tells everybody else what to do i want to be like him so i think that's kind of at least that's what i hope please god that's what it is yeah no i think (laughs) i think your kid's fine i think he's okay all right sam always a pleasure talking to you man i uh thank you very much for uh coming by and and not just talking about your turn on Rebels, but also really getting under the hood and, uh, you know, throwing down with your crazy yes. mad. Just fighting it. Just fighting with you guys. Just yeah. a- just yeah. having a huge, huge uh, angry debate. And I'll never speak to you guys again. It's never. It's, we're done. We all <laughs> behaved very well. I, I really do. I... <laughs> no, but that's, again, It's it, this is the thing I love about it. It's yeah. like, it's exactly like that. Because... 
frankly, I, I couldn't tell you that I'm right. You know, like that, that's, and I don't, I don't want to know that either. I'm right because the, the, here's the thing about star Wars for me. And it's, it's like when Chirrut and base showed up and they said, they're the guardians of the, of the Kyber temple, the guardians of the wills that with, with in, in the context of everything we'd seen in star Wars, it sent me down a rabbit hole of like, what, what? Oh my God. It's like two guardians who, who no longer have a job. The Jedi are dead. And I mean, like it's, it made you wonder about that. Right. Right. Any, any one of these things where, you know, Darth Vader's uh, house being on Mustafar, I'm wondering that's, that's another rabbit hole and all these little suggestions of this little suggestions of that star Wars has always been something that is so rich in terms of detail, but, but moreover did a great job of suggesting a world beyond the frame of the theater screen that there, that if you could, peek around the corner, you the world would just continue on and on and on. And there'd be more and more stuff to talk about, debate, learn that it's, that's got, there's a certain reality of that world. So things like the chosen one prophecy are, they're not rabbit holes. They're, they're giant Utapau size sinkholes <laughs> that we can just lose ourselves in discussing the, uh, theological significance, the mythological significance, the, uh, significance in world, the Jedi religious significance. I mean, it's just really fascinating stuff. Oh, it's the greatest sandbox to play in, in the world's most fabulous playground. So yeah. thank you for joining. Hey, Sam, you got anything else going on lately? Uh, once upon a time, is that all wrapped up for you? Once upon a time is wrapped up. I've been, uh, working very hard on a game called days gone, which I've been shooting now for like two and a half years. That's wow. coming along. Well, there's, other stuff that I can't talk about that I'm sure at some point I may talk about maybe even with you guys. You never know. Wow. Maybe uh, even uh, with us. Maybe even with <laughs> meaning, meaning it's, it's subject matter that you guys have shown interest in, in the past. Ah, ah okay. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm doing other stuff like writing a book and finishing an album and all kinds of weird stuff. So. Oh, you've been working on the album for a long time, but this is the first I, I, I'm hearing about you writing a book. What's the book? Uh, I cannot tell you at this point. Wow. I see everything is like, and then there's another thing that I can't, I don't it's, know. That's all it's a secret. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. Intrigue. It, yes. Yes. I am a spy for MI6. That's, oh, I shouldn't have told you that. Yeah. <laughs> have you guys ever like thought, because whenever I'm watching a James Bond movie, First of all, he's always, no matter who plays him, he's always ridiculously good looking. So this guy, I just want to see a scene where this happens, right? Bond walks up to the hotel desk. Now, the hotel is on an island that is secretly a missile base for the, uh, for the villain, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he walks up, and this hotel is on the island. It's secretly run by the bad guy, and Bond knows this. And he goes up, and he goes, you know, and the guy's like, checking in, sir? And he goes, yes. Name? <laughs> Bond. James Bond. And then you just see the guy behind the desk go, I see you have the uh, presidential suite. Uh, just a second, Mr. Bond. Hold on. Let me see if I can figure out those arrangements. And then the guy goes in the back room, picks up a phone and goes, dude, he's here. He's here. <laughs> what? Who? James Bond. No. No, he literally walked up, looked me in the eye and said, I'm James Bond. That's my guy. Dude, he's here. <laughs> yes. Well, have someone shoot him. I'm, I'm just about to. I'm gonna. All right, hold on. Like, dude, or, or like, or what if, you know, when they're, when they're hiring, you know, they're hiring like minions for the island and they're like, you know, like Goldfinger's like, we really, we really need some, some IT guys to hook up 
the phones and the internet. And and so they're like, well, who who have you? Uh, who who do you have for us? He's like, well, there's this uh, guy, uh, Jimmy Mack. He went to MIT. He did this. He did that. He's got this great resume. Oh yes, he looks like a good candidate. We'll meet with him. Who else? Oh, um, um, this woman, Linda Johnson. Now she didn't. Um, she went to MIT, but then she actually got involved in management and then eventually got back in, into this uh, computer technology thing. She invented this. Oh, that's fascinating. That's great. And then to anyone else? Yeah, there's this other guy who apparently went to MIT with both of them. His name is James Bond. He <laughs> has a uh, bachelor of... No, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> well, it says that he has, you know, like he's like 15 years experience. And then, no, no, he does not. He's a spy. <laughs> All he has to do is change his name. Hey, that kind of begs the question. Why didn't Luke Skywalker change his name? I mean, why why did they raise him as a Skywalker and not as a Lars? I have two two answers to that. One is a little cooler than the other. The first one is Lucas uh, said he's like, guys, Skywalker is like Smith, and it's a galaxy of quadrillions of people. Like, no, it's never not. Find a guy. That's where George is wrong. There's it's only wrong. one Skywalker. And it's Luke and his father before him. The other thing that someone said to me once that I thought was fascinating, totally fascinating. He said, you know, Luke is raised with Owen and Beru Lars. And he never says his last name until he rescues Princess Leia. And he's like, what if he never went by his last name? And I was like, what the what? What? So that when he's going to rescue Princess Leia, I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue. He's taking on the mantle. Oh my God, that that really works. And as a matter of fact, even his own friends at Anchorhead call him Wormy. He goes by an alias with his own friends. A worm. Wow. All right. He could never possibly be the chosen one. All right. Let's chew on this, guys. Let's chew on this for a while. He never, ever went by Skywalker until he introduced himself to Princess Leia. Wow. Okay. Yeah, dude. It's, it's, that's his James Bond moment. I'm James Bond. Yeah, why, why, why would he? Why would he go by Skywalker? You know, when his father was just, you know, on a space freighter. Oh, yes, he was name dropping actually at that time. Because <laughs> yeah, now he's now he's his, he's the son of this amazing pilot that was uh, killed at the height of his powers by the. Right, a Jedi Knight. He's like, well, I'm actually calling myself. That. I'm not going to go by Luke Lars anymore. I'm going yeah. by Skywalker. Before that, he was ashamed of his father. He's like, you know, yeah. Anakin Skywalker was a spice fighter pilot. This is a terrible guy. No, he was actually a Jedi Knight. Oh, that's, that's Anakin Skywalker. That's my dad. He starts yeah. signing his checks, Skywalker. <laughs> he calls all of his credit card companies. Yeah, lose the Lars and let's go with Skywalker now. I mean, he's just, yeah, he doesn't realize. Wow! Now that you, you, you're, you're leaving us, you're, you're dropping a bombshell, and then, and then that's it, Sam. You're gonna take off. Out. But yeah, I mean that's that's what you do. You're like George Costanza. You you, you go out on the high note. And uh, this whole conversation with you, my friend, has been nothing but high notes. There are lots of... I'm I'm actually going to re-listen to this whole thing and take notes while I'm doing it. And I suggest our listeners do the same thing. It's always a pleasure to have you join us on Rebel Force Radio, Sam, and throw down your amazing Star Wars knowledge. And it's also great talking to you about wrapping up an incredible run as Darth Maul on both Clone Wars and Rebels. And we really loved being on the sidelines watching every moment of it. 
Yes, excellent. Well, thank you so much, guys, for your support, and this has been really fun. You're the Thanks, best, Sam. Man. Thank you, Sam. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. Hey, Stewie, you're ready to go home? About an hour ago. This party sucks. What happened to your face? I'm a kitty cat. Stupid face painters apparently never heard of Darth Maul. Rebel Force Radio. All right, well, now that we got rid of Sam... <laughs> uh, no, I did want to. I did want to uh, give a little shout out here. I don't have a name. I, I apologize, but there, there is a there is someone who uh, wrote a uh, piece on this whole discussion at a, a blog here, at the Rebel Base Hub, and the headline caught my eye: "Luke shouldn't be the chosen one." Star Wars Rebels is wrong, all in caps. <laughs> and uh, you know, I appreciate uh, the passion here. He says that. Uh, when Kenobi mentions how Luke is the chosen one, that could be explained in one of three reasons. Reason one, Obi-Wan uses this to comfort a dying Maul. He doesn't want to upset him. He doesn't want to disagree. <laughs> you know, I mean, Maul only has moments to live, right? So he's laying there and he's like, is it the chosen one? Well, it's a long story. You can't get into all of that. No, so what he, he just, should have said is, what chosen one? What are you talking about, Maul? You're in shock. And then just let the guy die. <laughs> then drop his head right there on a rock. Um, no, no, no. So was he doing it to do a, to uh, comfort a dying Maul? I, I say no. Reason number no. two, Kenobi is unable to foresee the prophecy being fulfilled as he is merely someone living in a galaxy where the Force works in mysterious ways not even a Jedi can fully understand. Mm-hmm. All right. That, that might be more along the lines of what Sam is saying. I mean, Sam is, I think... Um, I mean, Sam's open to all different kinds of possibilities, but I do think that he's, he's defending the right of Obi-Wan Kenobi as a character to be wrong, whereas sure. I'm saying he's too important of a character to be wrong in this moment. Well, he's Just been to... wrong before, though. He has been wrong before. I'm not, I'm not saying he hasn't been. I'm saying in this moment. And knowing what we know now and knowing what the writers know. I'm not talking about George you know, writing this story as he went along. I'm talking about, um, you know, Star Wars story group, whatever. I'm with you where I believe here, – here's what I believe, that it is from Obi-Wan's perspective. He truly does believe that Anakin has fallen to the dark side. Yoda is the one who put doubt in his head, misread the prophecy must have been. See, I think ma- we're making too big a deal out of that line. I think that is such a throwaway line. Oh, God. I never, ever, ever considered that to be a throwaway line. I always felt that there was a very specific – purpose for that that doubt that yoda gives he 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 spreads to the characters and he spreads to us as viewers he says misread so he's putting that doubt into obi-wan's mind at that moment where they're all doubting themselves because the dark side has clouded everything is what yoda says and these are all things we have to really look at very closely as far as ways of defining how the Jedi are in touch with the force as the dark side power starts to grab a hold on the galaxy, 
we need to understand their perspective here and why it's happening. And it's happening because the Jedi are weakened. They're weakened due to complacency. They're weakened due to bureaucracy. And they're weakened due to the fact that the dark side is on the rise and it's starting to stifle their connection to the dark side of the force. This is clearly stated in dialogue coming from Yoda himself in both episodes two and three. So we know that the Jedi are in, in, they're totally in a weakened state right now because the balance of the force is totally unbalanced. It's tipping in the favor of the dark side completely. Any existence of the dark side takes the balance of the force and turns it askew a little bit. Any evidence of the dark side, that's what turns the light side up on its tail. So as the dark side begins to grow, the Jedi lose their connection and they are confused. Yoda is clearly confused in the prequels. Mace Windu is clearly confused in the prequels. And these are the Jedi that are put up on a pedestal as being the most powerful. They sit on the council. Everyone answers to them and they make all the decisions. But yet they are the ones who are expressing all this confusion in the prequels. So Obviously, it trickles down to Obi-Wan, and he has to only see things the way he sees them at this point in time. And he has lost all faith in Anakin Skywalker doing anything to live up to that prophecy. He's hearing Yoda's words in his head, misread, the prophecy may have been. And he's thinking to himself, well, yeah, it was misread. Luke is our only hope at this point. Only hope. So where can he take his faith and place it? In the only hope, look, in the direction of the only hope. Look, look, if this is only about one character and their point of view, yes. if I have to hear that line one more time, I'm going to scream. Uh, I know. It right? is getting a little because over. It's, it's the out on everything. I'm going to start using that. Well, from a certain point of view, I did I get that report in on time. From our very first conversations with Dave Filoni, from some of my very first off-air correspondence and discussions with Dave Filoni, he would use that as a way of prepping me. Oh, that's a writer's dream, that <laughs> line. I mean, you know, <laughs> well, from a certain point of view. I mean. a certain point of view. Yeah. yeah, by the way, this 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 blog post I'm talking about, they, they he wraps it up. With the other option is that the writers flat out don't understand enough about Star Wars to maintain continuity between the movies and the television show. <laughs> well, I, nobody, I don't believe in that. I don't. I'm not saying that that's true, but uh, I do appreciate the, uh, the 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 sentiment there. I, again, what, if it is, this is an exercise in expressing the beliefs of one character at one moment in time and what they believe to be true in the moment, I'm fine with it. It felt weightier than that. It felt meatier than that. And that's where I have uh, a problem. What I don't have a problem with is how much fun this has been to debate and talk about. So uh, other fun things to do, like give away, I don't know, Little Debbie's. Oh, we love giving away Little Debbie here on Rebel Force Radio. Yes. And we give away Little Debbie Galactic Snack Packs to you loyal Star Wars fans out there. This is and a great one. This is a great one. Uh, we, we caught Kelly Shannon, a.k.a. at Kexil, K-E-X-Y-L-L, on Twitter. And uh, she provided us with a great snapshot uh, taken in her kitchen, I presume. We're looking at the back of a Baze Malpus action figure as he is gunning down 
uh, shore troopers from Scarif, a couple of death troopers, and uh, their their uh, carcasses are draped over a box of Little Debbie Star Crunch. Yes, the Little Debbie Star Crunch that has the you know individually marked packages featuring Rancho Obi Wan opportunities to win a trip to Rancho Obi Wan and those ever uh, attractive. And uh, in some cases, elusive Rancho Obi-Wan trading cards. They are in specially marked boxes of Star Crunch on your shelves right now. Go pick them up. Get your collection going on the Rancho Obi-Wan trading cards. I think it's great that the world's largest Star Wars museum, the greatest destination for Star Wars fans, is now actually producing its own Star Wars collectibles to put in the museum itself. So that's fantastic. Little Debbie Star Crunch. So good. So great. So what's happening here, though, with this scene? You know, I just mentioned it. Baze is gunning down all these troopers on the kitchen counter over a box of Star Crunch. What's the deal? Well, Kelly puts in her tweet, they all dead. Baze needs some Little Debbie to keep the fight going. So we want uh, Baze to continue to wipe out those evil Imperials so uh, Jin and Cassian can steal the plans of the Death Star and we all get out of here alive and safe. Well, you know what? As long as we we'll have, have more li- on that later, <laughs> as long as we have little Debbie Star Crunch, we'll feel good. Uh, until the moment arrives, until that tidal wave hits the shores of Scarif and wipes us all out. But hey, it's great. Kelly Shannon, you certainly caught our attention with this killer photo. So we are sending you Little Debbie right to your porch. A Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack is coming in your direction, Kelly Shannon. All you have to do is send us an email with your shipping address to show at rebelforceradio.com, and we will get that in the mail to you ASAP. We do it each and every week here on Little De- <laughs> Little Debbie. We could be Little Debbie Radio. Why not? Little Debbie Radio. LDR. Mm-hmm. We do it each and every week here on Rebel Force Radio because, of course, Little Debbie is the official snack of fans across the galaxy. You know it, you love it. From Tops comes the digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. Yes, collect and trade over 1,000 officially licensed Star Wars digital cards. All of your favorite characters, vehicles, and locations from the Star Wars universe are here, including replicas of those amazing and iconic original 1977 Top Star Wars trading cards to futuristic all-new cards with exciting digital twists. And of course, you can find exclusive content from the all-time U.S. box office champ, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Download it today in the App Store or in Google Play. And of course, we're using the Star Wars Card Trader app here at Rebel Force Radio. You can always trade with us here 24-7, 365 days a year. Just search username Rebel Force Radio and do it all from the comfort of your mobile device. It's the Tops Star Wars Card Trader app. These are the cards you're looking for. Good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. Oh, great news. It's a great, 
great day for Star Wars fans here as uh, today marks the day when Rogue One is available as a digital download. The oh, that's physical right. media comes out. Yeah, so uh, get on your iTunes, get on your Amazon, get on your Vudu, and get yourself a download. In fact, later on here, we're going to be giving away some uh, free digital downloads of uh, Rogue One. But there's so much coming out now about this movie and it's great because we're in this position now where you know by the time the the home video is uh is coming out we 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 can assume and the creative team behind the film and the actors that were in the film everybody assumes now everyone's seen it right and now we can start really talking about it publicly and uh, one of the things that uh, there's a lot of discussion about are some endings that never were of the film. There were, there were a variety of ways that the writers were looking to end this story. And, uh, Jim, I thought we could kind of go through some of these. You've got uh, three listed here, and I've got one more for you. Oh, that's so there's great. there's actually four endings. Our friend Aaron Reinhardt in Silver Spring, Maryland, he, uh, he compiled this great breakdown of recent interviews and information that's been released about all the changes that have gone on in the Rogue One story. And, of course, we've got, been making you guys aware of this for easily the last year and a half that Rogue One was going through significant post-production changes. We all heard about the reshoots and the big whoop de doo surrounding that. But now we're finally getting the detail, okay? So it's been, it's been great to really speak about this in vague terms. Uh, and, and, and all that did was just make people worry about the film. And and I swear to God, if you go back and listen to old episodes of RFR from this time a year ago, I, I kept reassuring people, it's okay. They're making a great Star Wars film here. But what a, a lot of people were hearing me say was they're manufacturing something they think Star Wars fans would like based on... I don't know, uh, uh, test groups and consultants and all that. That's not what I was saying at all. I had always had the faith in the, the experts that work on the Star Wars saga that they were putting together a great Star Wars film, and it deserved all the time they spent on it. So now we're learning about all these changes that happened, even going all the way back to Gary Whitta's original draft. So there's a lot of changes here, and that's great. It's in a fine tradition of Star Wars. If you go back and look at George Lucas's original rough draft or first draft for st- the very first Star Wars, which we now call A New Hope, if you go back and look at that thing, it barely resembles the film we know and love today. So I say it's a fine tradition of Star Wars to keep <laughs> revising and refining and making the story perfect. Well, some of it, Jim, was that, you know, we look, part of what we do here is we tell you what we hear is going on in the Star Wars universe, and we try to put some context on it, tell you whether or not it's something you should uh, care about. Pretty much, if we're talking about it, it's something you as a Star Wars fan should care about. And w- what was happening is we were reading between the lines. There was sort of the, the company line that was coming out. Nothing to see here. These are business-as-usual type uh, Uh, reshoots and edits and what we were saying is what we were hearing which is 
This isn't business as usual. These are significant changes. These are significant additions. These are significant reshoots, probably more than what you would associate with any uh, big blockbuster film. And then people stopped listening. Right? They, all they heard w- w- was us talking about how major these reshoots were. They weren't listening to the part where we said, but we think that that's because they want to make the greatest Star Wars movie they can possibly make, etc., etc., etc. So there was a lot of pushback we were hearing from folks saying, you're making too big a deal out of these reshoots. You're being a jerk, Jimmy Matt. <laughs> I heard you. I heard you. And that's usually my role. And so I didn't really like the fact that Jimmy was stealing my shtick. Yes. Um, but anyway, let's go through these. Now, there are... Um, there are deleted scenes. I think there are two deleted scenes that are coming with the. Is that, uh, is that is that correct? Oh, I heard. I had not heard of any indication of deleted scenes. No deleted scenes. Some of it, I think, has to do with the fact that there was actually very little finishing work that was done on the um, on the stuff that was abandoned. So I, I don't. I, Maybe there's not going to be deleted scenes. I don't know. Those those Scarif beach sequences in the trailers looked uh, with the AT-ATs as Jin was running with the uh, Death Star plans. And but I think it was all stuff that we saw. In the, like, I think all that they had was what we saw in the trailers. So I don't think there's a whole lot to see. I think Just they only little, finished what they needed for the trailer is what I'm saying. Little glimpses. Yeah. So I think if you want to see the deleted scenes, just watch that first trailer. That's all. Yeah. All your delete. We've already seen the deleted scenes, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And most notably, the shot in the trailer that everyone talked about was mm. the TIE fighter rising up as Jin was going out to confront it on top of the Scarif transmission tower. Quite honestly, the the night we saw Rogue One at the premiere, I uh, pulled Pablo Hidalgo himself uh, off to the side and I said, well, so was where was the time fighter shot? I mean, come on, everyone was looking forward yeah, to that. Right. And uh, he said he told me that that was uh, placed in the trailer. It was a test shot done by ILM that the marketing team added to the trailer. And I, you know, um, it, it it passed as a trailer. Gareth Edwards himself even signed off on it. But at the end of the day, Gareth didn't figure out a way that was going to fit into the story. Of course, that could have been developed very easily at ILM. They could have uh, completed that scene, and you would ease, you know just have uh, maybe a couple reshoots with Felicity uh, running in front of a blue screen or something, and bing, bang, boom, you got a TIE fighter there. <laughs> but it didn't happen. And uh, that's because at the end of the day, Gareth Edwards just didn't think it would fit into the story. Well, you know what? I got to, I got to correct myself. Uh, I am, I am wrong. Uh, no deleted scenes on the home video release. Yeah. Of, uh, of rogue one. Right. But like you said, Jason, we've yeah. already seen them. We've already <laughs> seen them. Right. But let's talk about these endings. So, um, as you said, uh, faithful rebel force radio listener, Ann Reinhardt, he kind of gathered these, these are showing up across, uh, you know, different, uh, media stories surrounding the the PR and the release of uh, of Rogue One on home video. So we've got uh, Gary Witta. He's talking, and uh, so is uh, Gareth Edwards, uh, as well as John Knoll. So this is sort of a, a combination of interviews that have happened 
with all of these guys talking about these various endings. Uh, the first one is what they call the escape pod ending. I, I got to tell you, I like this one. And I read this one to my daughter, and she liked this one a lot, too, because she was really sad that Jin and Cassian did not make it. But the story okay, so, goes. So let's hear the, the ending that is preferred by eight-year-olds in Swank. Yeah, eight Eight-year-old girls and me. Um, so th- the ending was that Cassian and Jen would would survive. And so uh, Gary Witta says that uh, they were chatting about this, and he said it was clear that we were going to kill a lot of people, potentially everyone. We felt there's just no way they're going to let us do this. So in the first draft, let's try to do the best version we think of with Jen and Cassian surviving. So that's what they wrote. Kathleen Kennedy read it. And at the end, she said, shouldn't they all die? And we said, yeah, of course, we'd love to. But can we do that? Kathleen Kennedy said, we can do anything we want. In fact, we've got a Rebels episode where it's revealed that Luke is the chosen one, not Anakin. Oh, she did not. No, no, it's right there. It's what she is not there. (laughs) What she really said was she just simply sat up in her chair and she said, wipe them out. All of them. (laughs) He said, Kathy. You want gargle, baby? You got? You do have a throat? You got a throat? A little frog in there? No, she did say uh, we can do anything we want. I I did make up the other part. That was me. No, I did. I did. So what they did, writers embellish, is they had they they did have a uh, a version of the story where Jin and Cassian steal the Death Star plans, but they don't have to climb the giant tower to upload them to the fleet. Instead, a rebel ship comes down, gets them off the surface. The transfer of the plans happens later. They jump away, and then later Leia's ship comes in from Alderaan to help them. And then the ship-to-ship data transfer happens off of Scarif. So once they're in space, Vader's Star Destroyer attacks Cassian and Jin's ship, attempting to destroy it before the transfer is complete. Eventually, he does succeed, but not before the plans are successfully uploaded to Leia's Tantive Four which uh, takes off, right? Right. So we see the wreckage of the Rebels. You know, Devader destroys Jin and Cassian's ship. You see the wreckage. But when you look real closely, you see that there's an escape pod there. Right. And it looks like another piece of garbage, right? Which is a really cool echo of what happens in Empire Strikes Back. You know, we just hide like garbage and we float away. Right. With the rest of the garbage. The jets kick in. Right. And then the end of, then they go inside the pod, and it's very much like the end of uh, the James Bond film Moonlight, <laughs> where they're in there, they have a bottle of champagne, and, uh, and uh, Cassian, of course, topless, and uh, Jin is laying there, and uh, they're in some kind of like furry rug thing. And uh, yeah, no, that's not how it happened at all. As a matter of fact, I was just keeping uh, the rebel I, end up, sir. <laughs> I was, uh, I mean, really, that is how the end of Moonraker ends up. It is it's fantastic. But, um, <laughs> I believe but, uh, he's attempting re entry, sir. <laughs> That's the line. There we go. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but you know, uh, M's just jealous. Get little seven. He's, he's in that office all the time. Right, right. Uh, but, you know, um, I, thinking about the end of Rogue One, yeah. I did find it really refreshing, and my sons both agree with me on this. Um, you see the destruction heading 
in the way of our heroes, Jin and Cassian, and they're their knees on the beach right there on the shore, and they're watching their death approach them in a very beautiful environment, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so as they're facing death's door, they hold hands. They have a human moment. They mm-hmm. hold hands. Mm-hmm. But it's a film goer. You're thinking, oh, well, this is the big romance of the film now. And so we thought they're going to cut away and show them, you know, embraced in a kiss. Because there is, I think, the tiniest bit of sexual tension between the two of them. Where she kind of bumps into him in the ship. Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And she looks at him and he looks at her. And there's a moment there. There's a moment. Which I feel was projecting some sort of sexual tension between the two of them. But there was no payoff for that. No. But I really thought by the end of the film, when they were holding hands, you know, I was thinking, well, th- there was that foreshadowing there earlier. So, yeah, of course, they're going to be kissing. But we were relieved to see that th- that didn't happen. That's so Hollywood, you know, just oh, yeah. having them have that human moment where they're embracing the hug. And, you know, here comes the Grim Reaper. <laughs> what else are you going to do? I did notice that Cassian, at the very last minute, he opens his eyes. And gets one last glimpse at what's going on around him before they get completely consumed by the... Uh, I didn't notice that. Does he, is he, he opens his eyes to look at her? No, he stares away. Oh, he stares just, away. Okay. Like looks, looks at, the, at, at the beach. Yeah. At the very last, last second. That's the last thing you see. He just takes the quick I look. I assume just, that's a pretty unpleasant way to go. That's a rough way to go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think it's gonna be, it was going to be all peaceful. Like I think they're getting blown around in blazes of fire and brimstone. <laughs> I mean, you know, I would never tell my kid that. You know, like, oh, yeah. yeah. So. I actually, I rem- I had to tell uh, Bailey. I had to tell her that you know, well, maybe they did survive. You you never know. You never you know that kind of thing. But clearly, they didn't. Uh, so that was one version of the ending. Another version was what they call the beach ending. Now, this is one I believe that we, we had heard about. So the, the having the tower right there at the base was something that they decided to do later. Uh, the initial concept and what, Jim, you were alluding to earlier uh, of what you see in some of the trailers, some of the footage is Jin uh, and Cassian running along the beach and Jin holding on to that data tape, uh, yeah. I believe, at that point. Um, so they had to run across the beach to get to the tower to transmit the the plans. That was never uh, th- that was something that they changed late in the game, um, because I guess they had to. They were talking about having to compress the third act, which was uh, kind of long. So, um, and so they decided to go ahead and put it in the in the base, so they don't have to run across the beach and and do all that. Um, but so what you, you you never have those moments where they're running from one end to the other. In fact, uh, they said a careful look at the trailer will reveal that K2SO is also with them during that sequence. Yes. So you, you see, oddly enough, you, you see in the trailer, if you look real closely through the smoke, Alan Tudyk, you don't see K2SO. Oh, really? Yeah, you see Alan. Ah, and doing the motion capture stuff. Yes. So he's in the background, and he has the backpack of shame on. 
And uh, you'll learn. Well, you'll learn what the backpack of shame is. I learned about it when I was at the Rogue One uh, media event at Lucasfilm. Um, typically, Alan would shoot his scenes on some stilts. So he would walk around and he would be about seven foot three or something and just towering over everyone. But there were other sequences that would require him to move in a certain way or run or sit or whatever. So he wouldn't be in the stilts. They would put a backpack on him with this. And we saw Ahmed best in similar situations in the prequels where there would be like a pole coming out of the backpack and up on top was just a cardboard K2SO face. It looked really kind of cheapy and stuff. And there's some great moments. And uh, I, I picked up some of this chemistry between Diego Luna and Alan Tudyk when I was at Lucasfilm. But you'll see in a dele- in, not a deleted sequence, but in one of the bonus features, uh, behind the scenes features that will come with the Blu-ray, um, Diego is totally ribbing Alan for the backpack of shame as they came to know it as. And he, Diego points up at the really rude looking K2SO cardboard face. That's a, about a foot over Alan's head. And they put that there. So the actors will have the right sidelines. Sure. And so he points at that thing and says, look at this. This is like what you would see a Mexican version of K2SO in a movie. <laughs> That's what it would be like. It's so funny. So, you know, really great chemistry between those two guys. I really picked up on that when I was at Lucasfilm. And uh, so you'll be seeing some of that going on with with these behind the scenes features as everyone picks up the Blu-ray and um, digital release. No, it's the digital release, which is coming out today. I think the Blu-ray is still another week. Tuesday, I believe. It's April 4th. Oh, April 4th. And we still have a little ways to go. We got another 10 days. Oh, okay. Blu-ray. Are you going to do both the digital? I always do both. I just can't wait. I can never wait. Yeah, can't wait. And I love, I love having. I you know, I do it through iTunes, and I have it everywhere, so I can. You know, me, I'm watching it on my way to work, on my way home from work. And it's such a great movie. I, I'm really, uh, I'm really growing to love this film so much so I consider it to be my top post original trilogy Star Wars film. Wow. Yeah. I mean, even, even higher up than uh, the George Lucas helmed prequels, wow. you know, it's, uh, and, uh, the force awakens of course is great and definitely has a place in my heart, but I really love rogue one. I, I just don't know what it is. Ab- I mean, I, I do know what it is about it. There's, it's just a great story. And, and the way it was shot feels so legitimately star Wars. There's just so much detail, so much to look at in the screen. The characters, are so amazing. The acting throughout is amazing. It just feels real, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And, of course, the, the third one is the version that we see in the film. Yes. Um, but there's there's two more. Can I mention something about the beach ending real quick, though? Sure. One more thing. is I, I mentioned that I had a conversation with Pablo following uh, the premiere. The thing that stood out to me the most is you mentioned that the idea was to have – the files in one tower, in one location, and then they run down the beach and get to the transmission tower, right? hmm Right. But Pablo said to me, the tower was located somewhere else on the planet. He didn't say just there down the beach. Mm. He said somewhere else on the planet, which led me to believe that maybe 
we see these guys find a ship, go over to the transmission tower, do what they have to do there, and then attempt to escape. Or maybe they did escape in one version of the film in a ship, not the whole escape pod thing. I don't know. We're looking at, I think there were more than just a couple versions of this dragon. I've got two more for you. Are you ready for them? I've got two more. These are from John Knoll. Let's, I'm going to stop guessing, and let's hear what the experts say. So um, here's one for you. This is, uh, this is according to John Knoll. This one's called Fleeing to Coruscant. So Jin and Cassian lead a team that steals the Death Star plans and escapes Scarif on a rebel ship. ship. In hot pursuit is Darth Vader, whose ship keeps attacking them even after multiple jumps to light speed. Soon, they've taken so much damage they realize they aren't going to make it. And the last jump they do, they try to get lost in the traffic that's around Coruscant. This is according to John Knoll. It's a giant cloud of ships, 10,000 ships coming and going, and they're trying to get lost in that traffic. Speaking of Bond, this is kind of like a Bond car chase. You know, you try to get, try to blend in. And they're trying to get lost in the traffic, but they don't make it. They're still an hour's flight away from Coruscant, and their ship gets damaged. Jin and Cassian realize that if they don't get the plans off the ship, the whole mission has failed. So they discover that Leia's ship has just taken off from Coruscant and is on its way to its diplomatic mission to Alderaan. They know that she's secretly working for the Rebellion and they risk blowing her cover by transmitting the plans to her ship with the hope that this transmission won't be detected by Vader's ship. Obviously, it is. But Jin and Cassian realize that whether Vader catches Leia's ship or not, they'll inevitably be tortured for information by the Empire and could reveal the Rebellion's secrets, potentially leading to its destruction. So the two Rebels decide to blow up their ship with them on it. Hmm. So suicide. So that's one ending that John Null considered. Here's another one. Uh, That's a a harsh one. That 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 is harsh. But, I mean, we're just hearing it in its very basic terms here. You know, we don't know how they would actually execute it. Once sure, it sure. This is, this is John Knoll recounting. Now, here I'm going to be quoting John Knoll. So what I'm about to read you is in John Knoll's words. This is called The Double Agent. That's right. The Double Agent. Then I had a version of it where the Cassian character originally was a double agent. He was a spy planted by the Empire into the Rebellion. And over the course of the mission, he becomes aware that the Death Star is actually a real thing. And it's not just propaganda. The Empire really built it, intends to use it, and its only purpose is a genocide weapon. He realizes a lot of what he's been told is a lie. And that he's been on the wrong side. So he switches sides to the Rebellion. And he realizes he can let everyone live. They've got a carbon freeze bomb on the ship. And the idea is that he forces everyone into the airlock. I'm going to set this off and you're all going to survive. He sort of times it with one of the hits from Vader's ship. So he blows up the ship and sets off this carbon freeze bomb and everyone is frozen in carbonite. Then on Vader's ship, they detect no life signs and they think everyone's dead. Where's that ship the plans were transmitted to? So I was going to leave our heroes out of the picture. It's why they don't show up in Empire or Jedi. They're stuck in carbon freeze. Ooh. 
Now that's kind of compelling. I like that idea. There have been moments in Star Wars history where carbon freezing does return, where they've actually dealt with freezing people. Um, gosh, there was an episode of Star Wars Clone Wars where Anakin suggested they do that. Do you remember that one? Well, and I, well yeah, they do carbon freeze themselves. They do. In Clone Wars, yeah. And uh, so, but, but they're doomed to a... a, a Destiny floating through space, frozen? Well, they said that this would be an idea that would allow them to use the characters in later things. And they could I get, show up yeah. later. Sure, yeah. He says uh, it would have been a bit of a cheat. Um, yep, yep. But at any rate, so the carbon freeze bomb. So now we're up to, we've got the, the ending that we actually see in the film, the tower ending. We've got the beach ending, which really just has them running... None of these, there's only two that have the characters surviving. That's the escape pod ending. The beach ending just is a longer journey to the tower. And then we've got fleeing to Coruscant. They die in that. They did. They blow themselves up in that. But then there's this double agent one where Cassian spares them by freezing them all in carbonite with a carbonite bomb. Crazy. A carbonite bomb. Yeah. I wonder if that is something that's ever going to be good. Because, you know, in Star Wars, you never throw ideas away forever. I mean, it, it's possible we might see the return of the carbonite bomb somewhere. I'm, I think that's kind of a compelling and interesting twist to throw into some technology in the Star Wars universe we already are well-schooled in. But to use it and in, execute it in a totally different way, I think that's really compelling. And I like it. Carbonite Bomb, hashtag Carbonite Bomb. As a matter of fact, that's a good name for a band. Yo, we are the Carbonite Bomb. That's a great idea. That's a great name for a band. Yes, yes. That's, that's fantastic. I would call my band The Carbonite Bomb. It wouldn't just be Carbonite Bomb. No, the, you have to be The. We are The Carbonite right. Bomb. Yeah, often imitated, never duplicated, The Carbonite bond. Uh, bomb. All right, Gary Witta, he, um, this comes from Superhero Hype. He was talking to those guys, and he says the future of Star Wars is not the legacy characters. The future of Star Wars are new characters. I get it. So they said it would be cool to see something totally new without the baggage of should Vader do this or should Vader do that. He, Gary Witta says, yes, I quite agree. I'm speaking purely as a fan. I obviously have no idea what their plans are for the franchise. I did my small piece of it, but it would make sense to me. You don't want to keep telling the same story over and over again. You want to tell new stories. So it's his belief that that, you know, as a creative person, um, that that's the direction that they'll most likely go that they will wrap this up. Now, this isn't a huge surprise. We know that the sequel trilogy is a passing of the torch that they're going to tie up the loose ends or any loose ends of the uh, original trilogy characters, the legacy characters. And they've already done it with Han Solo's story. They may or may not do it with Carrie's story, uh, you know, depending on how they decide to, handle her untimely passing. We don't know what's in store for Luke's character, but really once they get through those, um, that's kind of it. And it really is going to be the story of Ray 
and Finn and Poe, etc. Well, I I think that there should be an asterisk near what Mr. Witta says, and I'll tell you why. Because it sounds like Gary is speaking specifically in terms of the saga itself, the episodic saga, the episodes we know. We're currently in the sequel trilogy. And if that is to continue, obviously it will move on with Finn, Ray, and Poe with probably nary a mention of Han, Luke, or Leia. Probably the only consistent, if there is going to be a third, or I'm sorry, a fourth trilogy, the only consistent would be R2-3PO, maybe, and definitely Chewbacca, okay? So right there, we see a legacy character who most likely will have a long career in Star Wars films, and that's Chewbacca. It's already been revealed all these years. We've been considering Chewbacca to be an old dude because Han Solo knows that Chewbacca is 200 years old. That was always considered to be established canon, and I believe it still is. Now, in this era, Chewbacca is about 230 years old, and he has been defined as a youngster. According to the Wookiee lifespan, Wookiees apparently live to be about a thousand years old. So Chewie is just getting going right now. And uh, he hasn't even hit middle age yet. And uh, so we know he's going to be around in the films for a long time. And we know that there's a Han Solo standalone film coming out starring Alden Ehrenreich and Donald Glover. And you have to be kidding yourself if you don't believe that those guys have already been inked up for the sequel to that film. If that Han Solo film should make $500 million opening weekend, they're going to consider a sequel to it. It's not going to be a, quote, standalone film. They're going to continue the story of Han Solo. Why wouldn't they? You have two up-and-coming Hollywood superstars in Alden and Donald and a fresh take on a classic character. If it's a success, they're going to want to build on it. I guarantee that. Well, Gary does point out that that is, you know, sort of an exception in terms of uh, the plans. He says that uh, Rogue One was about 90% of what he's talking about, 90% brand new. He said, yeah, you see Leia, you see the Death Star and Vader, and those are elements of the story that belong there. But uh, for the most part, 90% of that story is completely New characters, new planets and places you've never been before. It's a Star Wars movie with no Jedi. You don't even see a lightsaber until Vader pops in at the end. And it doesn't have any spirituality or mysticism. A little bit through Donnie's character, but it's very different DNA to the Star Wars films that have come before it. So Gary feels that, you know, they're not going to just rely on treading on same old, same old in the legacy characters. They're going to forge new ground, new territory. Uh... What else we got? Oh, Woody Harrelson. Woody, he's out promoting. uh, What is he promoting? He's promoting some new movie that he's got. But they were asking him about the Star Wars film. Of course, you know, you're Woody Harrelson. You're out promoting some independent film. It's called uh, Wilson, I guess. Woody's got this self-titled role, Wilson. Um, But he's out there. uh, Oh, my gosh. Well, this is a small world. What's up? Laura Dern's in the movie with him. Oh, there we go. And they're uh, both in uh, 
upcoming Star Wars films. That's right. Yeah, we actually got a story here. Laura Dern, uh, she won't even talk to her kids about the movie. Can you believe that? <laughs> I don't blame her. Those kids are loudmouths. They hit the playground, and then the next thing you know, it's on Twitter. It's everywhere. It's not like it was in the old days. Yeah, no. She, uh, her, her sons are 15 and 12. They're prime Star Wars age. Oh, oh those guys. It's Remember a son and the daughter. Remember back in the old days, you tell someone a secret and you say, oh, please, but just keep that between us. And they'd say, well, who am I going to tell now? <laughs> nowadays, right. yeah, that, that is off the table. You can't say anything to anyone. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so Laura Dern said it's hard to be it's hard to be in our house. She said uh, they're always saying, Mom, can you at least tell us who you play? She said, I'd never put them in that position. So she mums the word mum. From mom is Mom's the word. Mom. Well, good for her. Well, what does Woody Harrelson have to say? Well, Woody, he's saying that the Han Solo movie is going to be the best Star Wars movie yet. Why? Because he's in it? I don't know. I mean, he was, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, he doesn't necessarily say that just because he's in it. Um, let me see where that uh, where that exactly that quote comes from here. I mean, he's, he's, this is a tall order he's uh, talking about here, the best ever. Oh, I would say so. I would say so. He says, uh, like this Han Solo movie I'm doing now, those don't need any help. They'll be juggernauts. And by the way, I could deliver a crap. We'll just throw that in there. Woody doesn't use the word crap. I'm going to throw that in there and keep it classy for the kids. Nice. Deliver a crap performance, and they're still going to be juggernauts. So other ones like Wilson, it's a little spark, and you want to get the flame going, blah, blah, blah. Woody Harrelson is talking about working with uh, Chris Lord and Phil Miller. They're great. You know, any movie is only as good as the director or in this case, directors. And so I have a suspicion because if you look at the whole, all the movies, the backlog of every one of these movies, there's a lot of great stuff. But one might not be as good with the writing in this or the acting in that or the directing in that. This has great actors Great directors, great script, and I really feel like we're going to make the best one. There you well, go. there's pretty, so he's pretty excited for it. Yeah, and why Very not? Very excited. Very excited. I have an amazing amount of optimism for this film. When I really, there's something in my core telling me that I should be really skeptical about it. I should be cynical about it, and I should have my guard up. But for some reason, I'm rolling into this Han Solo thing. Like it's uh, a day at the beach and I'm going to go off the diving board into the deep end. I mean, it's really just fantastic. Um, and it's going to be coming at us sooner than later. You know, it, what is this? May 20, 2018. Fourth. What? Man, 20. What are you talking about? Oh, the, the, the release date of the movie. The Han Solo film. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's the return of Star Wars in May. And that's May 2018. So, crap, we're only 14 months away from this bad boy hitting theaters. Yeah. Um, it's going to be hard for us to catch our breath after The Last Jedi than to roll into the Han Solo film five months later. That's crazy, isn't it? Six months later. It's yeah. It's insane. It's going to be a quick turnaround. <sighs> I think we can deal with it, though. Can I think we, we handle it? I think we could do it. I think we could do it. Yeah. All right. I'm pumped up now. I'm pumped up because I love to give stuff away. And that's what we're going to do right now. We've waited the entire show. We made you guys, all you guys who became eligible to win a Rogue One digital download from RFR have been waiting this whole time to hear who the winners are. That's right. We put the milk at the back of the store. 
Sometimes we do. And uh, you you know what? You had to be following us uh, either uh, via social media or the Rebel Force Radio website at rebelforceradio.com to get the wind of this this actual giveaway. Um, This happened between shows. We talked a little bit about about it on uh, RFR Rush Hour this week. But we received a handful of digital download codes from our friends at voodoo.com. All they asked us to do was just tell people about the Voodoo Viewing Party. It's going to be happening uh, this Friday, uh, today, as this show is released, uh, March 24th, where everyone syncs up their screenings of Rogue One and uh, watch together and participate in trivia contests online and uh, tons of other uh, really cool and fun things. So uh, to get on board with that, check out Voodoo on Facebook and you'll find all the information there or simply go to voodoo.com and uh, you'll see the information there. But to become eligible to win this download code, all you had to do was tweet. I want to watch rogue one with rebel force radio and voodoo fans at the voodoo viewing party. And so we're going to choose them from random right now here live on the show, Jason. All right. I'm spinning them. The the wheel turns round and round. You can't look up. You can't look down. And it's going to stop. Bing. Easy does it. Easy does it on Twitter. At Zombert. Says, I want to watch Rogue One with Rebel Force Radio and Voodoo fans at the Voodoo Viewing. All right. So, Easy does it. You are in. I have to. Easy uh, did it. Easy done it. Easy did it. And then here we go again, round and round and round it goes, where it stops, nobody knows, and bam! Oh, Nick Vargas, at NV2187, great number, Nick. Nick also is uh, going to be getting himself a digital download code from Voodoo and Rebel Force Radio. He's going to be watching Rogue One on Friday today. Here we go, round and round and round it goes, Bam! Thomas Barry, Thomas Barry at Captain Blu-ray, Captain Blu-ray. He's from Texas. Yes, my man. Don't you are going to get build download code, Thomas Barry. Yes, and our last winner. We had four of them to give away. We're going to give the last one away to E Truman at Ovsvetnik twenty four. I'm not even going to spell it. You know who you are, E Truman. And you're going to get a digital download code, too. You guys don't even have to get a hold of us. I'm just going to send you the codes. Thank you guys so much for spreading the word about the Voodoo Viewing Party. Uh, We're we're spreading the word on this strictly uh, on behalf of you guys so we could get those digital download codes and share them with you. We gave away five to our Patreon Patriots, as Jason calls them, the RFR Patreon community. Uh, we uh, put aside five specifically for them. So there's a good reason why you should get a part of, uh, why you should become a part of the RFR Patreon communities, because you never know when cool opportunities like that pop up. And believe me, the odds are much better for those actually uh, as part of the, the that that community, because uh, 
let's just face it, uh, the amount of people uh, in the Patreon community don't really compare to the amount of people actually listening to the show. So with uh, so many ears uh, listening to Rebel Force Radio, maybe you might want to just pop over and check out what we've got going on at Patreon because there's a lot of cool uh, exclusive giveaways, cool exclusive programming, high-quality stereo versions of the weekly RFR and uh, other opportunities for you guys. So uh, check it out patreon.com slash rebel force radio and uh, for this introductory period all of our exclusive programming on patreon is available to everyone whether you're a patreon contributor or not we just want everyone to get in on the party see what we have going on over there and build a great community of star wars fans so thank you everyone who's already taken a plunge and joined us over there at patreon thank you to voodoo for giving us this opportunity to give away these codes to uh all of our friends and uh, to everyone who's just been uh, getting on board with uh, Rebel Force Radio via Facebook, via Twitter, or via Patreon. Uh, and, of course, you can always reach us, show at rebelforceradio.com. We're here 24-7, 365 days a year, always ready to talk the wars. This is really cool. I just happened to be uh, flipping through the Twitter, and I see that our pal Ryan Blaney, who we had on, NASCAR driver, number 21, uh, just met Daisy Ridley at an event. He's got a picture of himself with Daisy. What a lucky guy. And he just said, life's made. What what did he say? He said, life's made. This made his life, meeting Daisy Ridley. I saw a lot of pictures of Daisy online sitting courtside at an L.A. Lakers game. So perhaps that's where he actually met her. Yeah, she's gone Hollywood. Yeah, poor Daisy. We've already lost her. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, this was a lot of fun. Big thanks to Sam Whitworth for joining us and uh, taking us to school. Um, always fun talking to Sam and... Uh, as we said, congratulations on him for uh, wrapping up a great run as a great character. Uh, also, thanks to Little Debbie Snack Cakes, Tops, and their Star Wars Card Trader app. Uh, as Jimmy mentioned before, you can uh, play with us in between shows. We'd love to hear from you. The email address is show at rebelforceradio.com. You can uh, leave us a voicemail or send us an MP3. If you want to just leave us the voicemail the old-fashioned way, the number to dial is 708-320-1737. That's 708-3201-RFR. Speaking of Twitter, at Rebel Force Radio, that's where you can find us, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank. No pictures of me with Daisy Ridley yet. <laughs> Facebook, uh, the only place you can find Rebel Force Radio on Facebook is on the official Rebel Force Radio Facebook page. Just search for us. We're in there. Facebook.com slash Rebel Force Radio. The official website, of course, RebelForceRadio.com. You can go there for uh, all the back episodes, uh, news, uh, things like, gosh, they're giving away free digital downloads of Rogue One. Yeah, you got to find that out. Go to RebelForceRadio.com. You never know what could be popping up there. Also, uh, iTunes, still one of the best, most comprehensive repositories of podcasts. Would love to have you subscribe and review. 
Just one rule on those reviews, please. Make it good for old master. You can find Rebel Force Radio at WGNplus.com, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, just about anywhere else you could find podcasts. We're also an official friend of Wikipedia. The ultimate online Star Wars encyclopedia can be found at Wikipedia.com. Don't forget, it's two E's, Wookie. It always throws me off. I want to spell it like cookie. Two E's. You can also find us weekly at JediNews.co.uk, Yoda'sNews.com, and the official Star Wars website, StarWars.com. That's it. We'll see you next time. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember... The Force will be with you, always. Chosen one.